Aren't TV movies fun? Join Amanda, Dan, and Nate as they discuss their favorite made-for-TV movies on the Made-for-TV Mayhem Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, everybody. It's a small screen summer. Yay. The gang is back together, minus one. There's just two of us tonight, so we're a duo instead of a trio because Nate has this thing called a life, and mm-hmm. he has to do something with it. It's ridiculous. So he's not going to be here tonight, but Dan and I are going to talk about two really fun summer-esque, even though High School USA takes place during the school season, summer-esque type feel films um so obviously we're doing high school usa from 1983 and we're also going to be doing poison ivy from 1985 both of which happen to star michael j fox and nancy mckeon nancy mckeon yes oh my god (laughs) and and high school usa seems to star everybody else so exciting yeah this, it's a really great film. Um, hopefully, people listening have seen it. If you haven't, we'll try to talk about every actor that's in it. Um, this is going to be really difficult for me because I don't think I remembered most of their names. Oh, I, I, I well, I've, I've got you mean the cat member? Cat, the, yeah, the, the character, the, the actors I know very well, but the, yeah, I mm-hmm. should have stipulated that the characters, not so much because there's so many people in both films that it was impossible for me to keep track of all of their names. And so I may call Tom Villard Tom Villard instead of whatever this character's name is. Or I'll call Crispin Glover my husband. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, like stuff like that will happen. I've got, I've got Meryl right here. I can give, I can give some names, but I'm okay. going to lose it. Well, I'm on, because... I'm on IMDb, and so uh, I can look up anybody that we need to. Crispin Glover's Archie. Archie mm-hmm. Field, a.k.a. my husband. <laughs> I cannot wait. Okay, so um, I don't think we have a lot of chitter chatter to get into beforehand. So I'm just gonna. I want summer vacation to start. I do too. Although I'm... this isn't summer vacation technically, but we're... no, but it feels like a summer vacation it's... movie. Nostalgia. Yes. Sort of. It's got a very laid back feel to it. Um. So, but before we go into either of the films, I want to just briefly talk about our two stars. So, um, I didn't take a lot of notes about either uh, Michael J. Fox or Nancy McKeon because, let's face it, everybody kind of knows about them. But, um, but we love them, and that's why they're here with us tonight. So, I'll just go over some brief uh, trivia that most people probably already know about Michael J. Fox because he's like the most famous person on the planet. I would recommend that if you love Michael J. Fox, and you know you do. You should visit www.michaeljfox.org where you can learn all about the stuff he's doing for Parkinson's and also read about his life. Um, he's such an amazing uh, person. Um, and most of us 
probably listening have grown up with him and fell in love with him first, you know, on Family Ties um, mm. for playing Alex P. Keaton, the Republican uh, coming of age in uh, House Full of Democrats. He had actually already had a pretty decent acting career when he started. He's, he's Canadian and he did a lot of work there. Uh, but he quit high school to pursue um, acting in Hollywood. He eventually got his GED, but he did leave school. He worked heavily in guest spots when he first got here. Um, he was in stuff like Lou Grant. Here's Boomer, which I'd love to see that episode. Trapper John, um, which will show up on my Gonzo Gogo podcast when I get to it. And um, and then, of course, he did... One day. Yeah, one one day, day, it'll happen. But then he got Family Ties, which, of course, changed the course of his life and his career. So on being cast as Alex P. Keaton, Michael J. Fox said... I think I went out by being more obnoxious than any of the other kids who auditioned. Every time I had gone to a Hollywood audition, audition, I'd seen all of these super friendly and totally insincere kids dropping names like crazy. I went to the other extreme and put down everyone, which is wh what the character of Alex was all about. Luckily, it worked. Um, it was obviously a very successful um, uh, choice to put him in the film, he, to put him on the series. He won three Emmys in a row for playing the character. Um, I don't know if most people know, but there's actually a Spin City Family Ties crossover. Uh, it was revealed in the last episode of Spin City that Alex became a politician, to no one's surprise. I'm positive. Um, he was listed as one of the 12 most promising new actors of 1985 in John Willis' Screen World, Volume 37. And he was ranked at number 23 um, in TV Guide's list of the 25 greatest teen idols. That was from um, January 2005 issue. He also appeared... Oh my God, I printed this out and it didn't print out the things where there were links. So now I can't, I can't tell you the name of the show. Oh my God. Okay. So let me see if I can remember this. In 1982, Michael J. Fox appeared on the first episode of a TV show called Fantasy. Does anybody remember this with Peter Marshall uh, was the no. host? It was, I watched it. Uh, it was a wish fulfilling series. Marshall mentioned that Fox was a great fan of James Cagney. Then drew Fox's attention to a video screen where Cagney appeared in a tape statement telling Fox, keep a going. This brought tears to Fox's eyes. Marshall then announced that Cagney had personally selected Fox to play him in a developing biopic about the legendary actor. Fox was overwhelmed with joy, but sadly the film was never made. I remember oh. this so well. <laughs> I do not at all. Wow. And then I printed out something and it didn't come out. So, oh, okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so everybody, just so you know, uh, this is a real haphazard episode because I wasn't able to prepare. I say this every episode uh, that I'm totally unprepared, but I'm really unprepared this time. So, um, first of all, we ran out of printer paper, so we had to use the back of printer paper we could find in the house. And wherever I had a hyperlink from where I copied and pasted stuff, it didn't print out where the hyperlink was, so I can't see what those words are. And then I found a really neat article in People Magazine from 1985 where he talks about different things. And it looks like I printed, I wrote out what he said, like I wrote about his fans from People Magazine, and then it's blank. <laughs> so what I remember him saying about his fans was that he really liked him and he found them to be very affectionate. And this was around the time he was doing Back to the Future, and he kind of skyrocketed to stardom. And he was talking about how... Um, he felt that the cast of Family Ties uh, was really happy for his success as compared to being really jealous about his success. Mm -hmm. And he said that maybe if he'd come to work in a Back to the Future t-shirt blasting the power of love by Huey Lewis <laughs> the News, then maybe things would be wrong. But as it stood, everything was the same. And that he really appreciated that his fans followed him to the big screen, which is a really big deal uh, for TV actors. Very few of them can make that leap to mm -hmm. movies because uh, I think Meryl said it in his book and other people have said it if you can get it on TV for free why pay for it yeah 
And so I know that's a struggle. Don Johnson really struggled with it. Um, Tom Selleck struggled with it. But Michael J. Fox was able to make the leap pretty well and in the mid to late 80s had a fantastic career. You may know that he actually dated Nancy McKeon while he was making these two films. They were hot and heavy for a few years. I don't know why. <laughs> yes. I don't know why it fizzled. And she must be tiny because he's five foot four and a half and she's very short compared to him. She's a couple inches shorter. Can I can I just point out something? I spent both movies thinking that, but I think right at the the very last shot of Poison Ivy and I don't know if this could be considered a spoiler, but the two of them are very close to one another. Uh-huh. And in that shot, suddenly she's taller than he is. Ah, and okay. it, it was like the capper to an afternoon of watching movies with them. But I was like, wait a minute. She, she's doing like that Barbara Feldon thing. So where like they always put Don Adams on a box or you can see her like leaning over. Right. Kind of. Do you think she was on her knees the whole time? And I don't mean that in a dirty way. She she doesn't, folks. She doesn't. Not with Nancy and Michael. No. 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 Um, no I I think she she could have been like 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 Barbara Feldon used to do a thing where she would kind of like just kind of hunch herself over a little bit yeah. whenever she was to look the same height as Don Adams, although she was like three or four inches taller than him. And sometimes you can't spot it because of the angle, but sometimes it's very obvious. Right. That's interesting. So, I just was thinking I was rewatching High School USA and it seemed she was shorter than him. But you're right. Yeah. I'm sure the angles helped. Uh, so, uh, you know, he met Tracy Pollan, his wife, on Family Ties, but they actually didn't get together until they were cast um, in Bright Lights, Big City, which is, ugh, it's not one of my favorite movies, but I love it, and I really, really love the soundtrack, and if anybody's looking for a good 80s soundtrack, that's the album to get. Um, I didn't realize, I always thought that they had started dating when they were on Family Ties together, but uh, not true, um, and they're still together, and they're a beautiful couple, and they have like three or four beautiful children, and they're amazing. Michael J. Fox said this about dating Nancy McKeon in 1985. Uh, Nancy and I always say this to people and they never believe us. We are more than any, we are more than anything best friends. She is the most fun person to be with. No, we are not getting married. How, how prophetic of them to realize they're not going to get married. So, which they didn't. Um, So, like Michael, Nancy was also a child actor, and she had appeared on shows like Starsky and Hutch and even the soap The Secret Storm before her big break as Joe Polnicek on Facts of Life. Um, She got that part because of a casting agent who was actually really taken by Nancy's appearance in a Hallmark ad, which I think is really interesting. Um, I think she got really misty in the ad, and the uh, casting agent was like, oh, I need that. Um, I need, she'll be tough, crying on Facts of Life. So, um... And of course, we know Facts of Life was huge. It ran for nine seasons. Um, I have every episode of it. I'm not ashamed to say. Uh, it's a great show. Um, I do think, though, the older I get, the more I'm Team Blair. Sorry, Joe. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I used to. I used to think Blair was really superficial, but now I think, hey. I Why really not? Like that. I really like those <laughs> outfits, Blair. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I find I gravitate more towards that now. Um, Actually, after Facts of Life, Nancy had some kind of missed opportunities. She was actually up for a part on a TV series adaptation of Working Girl, uh, but Sandra Bullock got the part, who was then also unknown. Um, And then she was up to play Monica on Friends. And as we know, that went to Courtney Cox, who, as we know, played Michael J. Fox's girlfriend at the end of Family Ties. So weird, Hmm. right? So um, Nancy actually says that she doesn't have any bad feelings about either one of those missed opportunities, but uh, and that she's actually openly praised Courtney Cox uh, on Friends and said that she couldn't imagine anybody else in the part. It would be really interesting to have seen Nancy McKeon in Friends, I think. Yeah. It's it's a different kind of comedy, right, than Facts of Life. Because Facts of Life really isn't funny. 
No, it's not. <laughs> Laugh track tried to convince you it is. And Friends at its best was genuinely funny. Yeah, so. I guess I guess for Facts of Life, Blair was funny. Blair could be funny, yeah. And Natalie um, could be funny, but it wasn't necessarily a funny show. No, it because you in most episodes you were just waiting for the very special thing to happen. Which you is, know, like oh, what lesson? That's Paul Haggis. What lesson so are we going to learn today? Yeah, he yeah. did an episode where they're all in a car, and I think the episode is actually called Crash. And I thought it was an inspiration <laughs> for the movie because I'd never seen Paul Haggis's Crash. And then I saw Crash, and I realized they're not at all alike. No, no, I um, I would have preferred to have seen the Facts of Life <laughs> Crash. To be uh, yeah, it's a, it's okay. It's not a bad episode. Um, <laughs> so I just found out that Nancy McKean lives here in Austin, Texas. What? And yes. you guys aren't going to like Terror Tuesday or something or hanging out? Or... No, but we're going to pretty soon. Yeah, of course you are. So I will let you know. And, and as most of us know, and I actually pulled some stuff about some of her TV movie work. So, you know, she's kind of a TV movie queen. I think her most famous movie is called A Cry for Help, the Tracy Thurman story, which is that infamous true story about the guy that beat the shit out of his wife or girlfriend i can't remember now i think it was his wife in front of a crowd of people and he scarred her face up do you remember this yes yes i do yes and it's a very harrowing film and um actually i used to live with this guy named bob he was a friend of mine and we were roommates and um i used to watch lifetime all the time and he was very gracious about my tv viewing habits and he would sometimes watch he i don't think he was a huge lifetime fan but he would watch these movies with me and he was watching the tracy thurman story and after she got beat up he was like in tears and he's oh, like, yeah. he's like, you have to turn this off. I'm so <laughs> furious right now. I'm so furious. And, uh, um, and it really affected him. And it's just a really, I, I think eventually we're going to have to get to those kind of movies. Oh, yes. And yeah. I know we've kind of approached it with Tori Spelling's a more escapist version of it, but we're uh-huh. have to we're gonna have to go to, into burning bed territory at some point. And yeah, and and we also have to one day I was looking through Merrill today, we got a hit of miniseries too, I think. Yeah, yeah, that would be fun, but just one because those are investments of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she also made a movie, and I'm only noting this because it's it really has nothing to do with Nance McKeon, but it's so hilarious that I had to bring it up. Okay, so she made a movie called Lightning Field, which has an AKA that I didn't write down, and I only bring it up because it's a USA original film where she is an artist who's pregnant, and I think she finds out that this like South American cult is trying to steal her baby for a sacrifice. And she's an artist in the film, and she builds a lightning field, which if you're into earth art at all, you'll know that Walter D. Maria has something called lightning field. And it's the exact same thing, and they stole it. They plagiarized it for the film, and he sued them. Wow. And there are some court documents that you can look at online. And I pulled this quote from a website that's talking about the court case. And so they wrote, They argued about the earthwork in lightning field, that it was not constructed by Walter D. Maria, but Facts of Life alum Nancy McKeon. So they tried to say she constructed it. Also, D. Maria's The Lightning Field has inspired generations of artists to examine the complex relationships between man and nature. Wait, I can't read this. While McKeon's <laughs> Lightning Field inspired a cult of obsessed baby snatchers to kidnap her child and use it as a sacrificial offering. To no one's surprise, the owners of the earthwork, the DIA Art Foundation, were not impressed and moved to sue the production company for violation of copyright. So sure. it's funny to me because their argument was that the character constructed it and it inspired a cult of obsessed baby snatchers to kidnap her child. And so therefore, it is nothing like Walter D. Maria's Lightning Field because that inspired a complex relationship between man and nature. <laughs> so even though aesthetically it's the exact same piece of art because the character and she didn't she didn't do it to lure baby snatchers 
if sure. I'm correct in the film. That just was the byproduct of her creation. Uh, so, anyway, <laughs> according wow. to these selected court records, the producer had already shopped around a script about a land artist named Walter Van Marta. And, mm. you know, his name was Walter Di Maria. So, um, wow. Wow, that's... Uh... Yeah, someone needs to be given a talking to for at least part, <laughs> portions of that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I, I wrote about the movie on my blog, and I had such a good time researching it because when I watched the movie, I was in taking art history is not my minor; it's museum studies. But I also took as many art history classes. So, and earth art was something that I did a huge like thing on one semester. That's all I did, and um, and I know a little bit about it, not everything, but enough to know Walter D. Maria's work. And mm -hmm. so when I saw Lightning Field, I was like, hey, this looks really fucking familiar to me. <laughs> and so I started researching and it turned out there was this huge controversy about the film. Um, and it, But it did get a home video release. It did get released on VHS. They changed the title of it. Um, and I'm assuming it's got the exact same artwork in it. Like they didn't remove it. So, uh -huh. But I'm not positive of that. Because um, my copy is, I think, from the original recording of the film when it originally aired. Um, and my only other piece of Nancy McKeon trivia is that her brother is Philip McKeon, who we all know as Tommy from Alice. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, and yeah. I just wanted to mention that because it's awesome. Alice has a great episode where it's Christmas time and they're all trapped in a truck. Yes. That's yes, I remember that. They also have that episode where I think they're trying to like get birth control education into the school and Adam West, who just passed away, plays like this professor or teacher. Do you remember this? And he comes no, to Mel's diner and he talks about birth control with Alice and some other mothers that are concerned. And I only remember because Adam West died and I was pulling up some pictures of him from non-Batman stuff. Uh -huh. And I saw a picture of him from Alice and I remembered that episode. And I was like, oh, yeah, this was like a real, like, let's rap, guys. Let's rap yeah. about birth control. <laughs> let's get involved, Mel. Let's get involved. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. And... I, I, he plays a doctor in an early episode of Petticoat Junction. Not to oh, really? Yeah, yeah, like early on in, in like the first. The black I think and white. It's to, to, to stop one of the um, sisters from like going out with a beatnik or something. And you know what? I, I would encourage any parents, if your child is about to go out with a beatnik, do whatever you have to do. Was it Dennis Hopper? Night. Because Dennis Hopper's a beatnik in an episode, isn't he? There is. I could be putting the two of them together. <laughs> but but it's, yeah, I, I think, it, oh no, she's, she's uh, one of them is going to move to Hollywood. Oh, the blonde. Yes, and I think Adam West shows up. I don't remember quite what happens, but he's there. So, I'm, you know, I'm going off on a tangent here, but Ad, I like Adam West. So. I do, too. We, uh, I was very upset about his passing, to be honest. Yeah, same here. When I saw that, I, I just couldn't. I said, no, come on. And I watched my Adam West naked uh, DVDs. Have you seen those? No, I haven't. He, he recorded those in his house. In uh, Oh, is that where you got that picture of him at the like, Christmas yes. party? Yep, yep. That's, that's, awesome. that's him. There, there's a moment during the he he discusses every single episode of the Batman series. Somebody thought you knew Adam West. Someone did, and I could not. <laughs> I could not. I did not want to say not really. Well, it her. looks I, so authentic because it's shot on video, so it's got that photographic like family snapshot kind of aesthetic to it. And so when I saw it, I thought Adam West actually did come to your house for a second, and I thought I'm sure he pulled this from something. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you yeah, told I, me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, no, yeah, folks, if you go on my, my Facebook, I posted a picture and it's him standing by a Christmas tree being handed by someone off screen an eggnog. And I, <laughs> I say something like, this is when Adam and I uh, spent last Christmas together and Alfred brought us eggnogs. And I thought the fact that I said Alfred, Alfred brought yeah. eggnogs would give it away. But someone came on and said, 
uh, and it's a very nice person too, who I went to grammar school and high school with. Um, oh my gosh, you know Adam West, and I did not disabuse them of that notion. That's hilarious! I, I, I didn't they say I was, uh, condolences or something? Yes, it's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So so yeah. So that that's just a little side thing right there. But um, and I will say um, uh, no, I won't. Because the the reason why our shows go on for ages is because I keep interrupting you every couple well, of minutes. But it's you have the table because you're going to give us the breakdown of High School USA, which oh, are you all... which is going to be really interesting. This isn't as convoluted as Poison Ivy, I don't think. I, I'm I'm not I'm not going to go too crazy. I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the the list of characters here in Merrill, and I'm going to give you what it was they. It, it's one of those movies where. Every character has a thing they're doing in the movie, so there's no, you know, this isn't like Proust and where you know we're growing <laughs> like that. You know, it's like there are two characters in the movie. Um, oh crap! Wait, I just wait, lost. Are, the page. are you gonna Are you gonna talk about Tony Dow? Oh, of course, good. Tony Dow. I really like his character. Oh, in this he movie. looks so good. Oh, he looks God. so good. Yeah, he's like, um, yeah. Even I, I, I suddenly have a crush. <laughs> I think I prefer older Tony Dow to younger uh, Tony Dow. Well, Tony Dow, seventeen and older, because I won't, I won't go too underage. Sure, because I mean, you can listen to the Joy Love Chachi episode we did, where I <laughs> went on a Tony Dow tangent. I won't do that here because I feel really bad every time I talk about sexualizing a seventeen-year-old. Sure. So sure. now, now that I see him in High School USA, and also still the Beaver, um, yeah, which mm-hmm. I loved, uh, then I feel much better about it. Sure, yeah. And I feel like it's okay to sexualize them. So I'm going to go crazy, guys. I'm not. I'm let's, not. Let's, <laughs> so I am not. I'm going to try to keep this as simple as I can. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. One more preface. One more preface. This is yes. going to be a Haywire episode. So um, I'm going to say something, and I don't think anybody who doesn't watch Hot in Cleveland is going to understand it. So I'm just going to tell a real quick story. So th- there's an episode of Hot in Cleveland, which is an excellent show and everybody should watch, where one of the girls is – they go to this bar – and um, they go because, you know, that's where they meet men. And there's a bunch of guys watching something on the monitor, and they're laughing. And one of the girls asks what they're watching, and it, I can't remember who they're looking at, but it's some girl. And I don't think she's doing anything particularly funny, but she's really beautiful. And one of the guys turns to the actress, and he says, she's funny like Scarlett Johansson. Meaning that she's so beautiful that like she's charm, you know, all of a sudden she has all of these, you're projecting all of these things onto her. And sure. that has become a line in my life. Whenever I see somebody <laughs> that's I'm really in love with, especially uh-huh. when they do comedy, I'm always like, he's funny like Scarlett Johansson. And so I did that a lot with Crispin Glover in this mm. episode because there were scenes where he wasn't even talking and I was laughing at things he was doing. I, I, I yeah, Crispin Glover in this one is, is... Well, we'll discuss it after the Yeah, after but the I mean, thing. he might actually usurp Tony Dow in terms of if I could spend an evening with... It. No, it would be Tony Dow. It would be Tony Dow. Uh, let's talk about it and we'll decide at the end. Okay. Um, now, like I said, I am not going to go through from beginning to end because there's too much going on. I'm just going to try to give you what everyone is up to and sort of bring us to a point in the movie. And I'm trying to do it as quickly as possible. All right. <clears throat> high School USA. Uh, it's set at a high school. High school started. Uh, you, you, you know. Um, school is in. School is in. Oh, yeah. School is in. So there. this is one of those schools where um, uh, there is a rich kid whose dad is super rich. 
And it's sort of that, that Glennie Larson thing where there's like a rich guy who seems to run the town. And this is, I call that the Larson verse. <laughs> That's so true. Cause now I'm thinking of like, did he create a team? No, that was Stephen J. Cannell. Sorry. He did Quincy. He he did Quincy and Masquerade. Oh, okay. And I proved, because I, cause on the A-Team, they were always going to little towns, and there was always somebody running the little town. Yes. That, and, and, and like BJ and the Bear, he's always driving into a town where someone said, where he says, hey, I need to talk to someone. No, no, that's Mr. Henderson. You don't talk to him. Why not? He runs this town. Right. And that happens like and, – and I just actually proved today on my blog that BJ and the Bear and Quincy exist in the same universe because Sam is in oh, BJ and the Bear. I yeah. saw that. Uh, so so – um, and there's this kid played by Anthony Edwards, Bo Middleton. And Bo is one of those super rich guys who has a contingent of guys around him who will beat up other people Oxen. when they get beaten. Up. Yes, he hangs out with all the best kids, like Dana Plato, who plays Kara or Kara Ames. Kara, I think. And, and, I think it was Kara. and he he has a super admirer played by Crystal Bernard, and her character's name is KC. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's Anne Marie. Anne Marie Conklin, and Anne Marie will do anything for Bo. Anything. Bo, anything Bo is currently going out with beth franklin who's played by nancy mckeon and nancy mckeon um when we first see her seems to you know what i i i can i just i'm gonna lower the curtain real quick right here or raise it i've got high school usa playing on one tv and poison ivy playing on a <laughs> on a computer <laughs> and and i am so confusing myself right yeah, now don't, but yeah, i would turn one of those off because they're, they're like the same film in terms of like multiple characters doing multiple yes. things so I just stopped Poison Ivy. So, yeah, but Nancy McKeon is sort of presented as being a slightly outsider kind of a girl who Bo has started going out with. I almost got the feeling like he started going out there, like, during the summer, and some people seem slightly surprised. Hello? Hi, Beth. Kara. Look, uh, can I call you back? I'm right in the middle of my homework. No, dear. You see, when I or Anne-Marie or anyone else from our crowd calls, it's obviously extremely important. You've only been dating Bo since the summer, so we haven't been friends that long. But you'll learn. Got it. Uh, what's the problem? Bo's party tomorrow night. Uh, what are you wearing? Hold that thought. Yes? Hey, Kira. It's Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie, I'm so glad you called. What are you wearing to Bo's party? Probably something black. I'm in mourning. Bo's going steady with Beth Franklin. In my life is ruined so when the film starts nancy mckeon is on her bed and the phone rings and it's Kara, and and she's like well i'm kind of busy and she's like you know when i call Kara says this when i call you know it's really important and she lists the name of, of all the girls that are friends of Bose that if they call you have to take this call and the whole reason for the phone call was to figure out what beth was going to be wearing at the party that she was going to with Bo. And what Bo was going to be wearing. And so she says, you know, I have no idea what he's going to wear. And she's like, oh, my God, you're dating him. And so yes. you can see that there's like this sort of um, hierarchy of students already and that they live by a certain sort of uh, set of rules. And yes. and those rules are, are like really superficial. Shortly after all this, we are introduced to J.J. Manners. Yes. And J.J. Manners is played by Michael Fox, not the character actor who played judges and doctors on TV throughout the 60s and 70s, but Michael J. Fox without a J in his name wow. in the opening credits. 
I, I, I sat with Meryl on the bus this morning. I was like, wait, there's a Michael Fox and a Michael J. Fox? And when I looked up Michael Fox, it was like 1973, yeah. Judge. That's why, he, that's why he became that, Michael J. Fox, because yes. there was some mix-up at SAG or something. That because I, I I I want to say you probably cannot you you can two actors can probably not have not have the same exact name that they go by. Yeah, no, that, I think that's a rule. But he could have been Michael J J Fox. He could have been J J Michael Fox. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Michael Fox J. So, but J J is very much he's Marty McFly is pretty much what he is, but without the girlfriend and without the crazy professor. No, he does have a crazy professor. Now that I think about it, his best friend is Todd Bridges, who plays Otto Lipton. And Otto Lipton is uh, a genius. He's yes, a scientist. That's right. He's a robot. And they all, all, it's, it's one of those things where when you see uh, Bo and his folks, they're hanging out around nice cars. They're at nice parties. When you see JJ and Otto and their folks, they're all in shop class. That's right. And they're built. They're putting stuff together. Oh my god! And are we so, going to dissect the class system? We we could. We, could. <laughs> we, we certainly could. Because I'll be honest, I don't think there's any of that in Poison Ivy. I think Poison Ivy is the most basic film uh, we probably watched on this podcast. So if we want to go a little overboard on High School USA, uh, we certainly can. Um, and JJ bumps into Beth one morning and there's instant chemistry instant uh, instant and obvious chemistry but Kara is there and kind of shoes JJ away as like a nuisance but it's clear that Beth kind of has a feeling for JJ but she's going on with Bo so then uh, let's see who are the other people we have yeah we have Otto Todd Bridges he's a genius he is building a robot that's right and I, I gotta tell you I don't mean to ruin it but I kept thinking that during the final scene a hatch was going to open up in the robot and Gary Coleman was going to jump out. Oh, that would have been so good. You know, it made me think of, so there's this, um, if anybody watched Monster Vision with Joe Bob Briggs, one day he showed Howard the Duck. And I have still not seen all of Howard the Duck, but I was watching it along with him. And <laughs> he gets to partway in the film and he says, I know what you're thinking. You're starting to wonder what the little person inside that costume looks like. And I was. That was what was so yeah. funny. I just started to think, I wonder what that actor in that looks like. Uh -huh. And so when I'm when I'm watching the robot, I started to wonder about who was yeah. inside the robot. I, I really tr I just sat there because Dana Plato's in it, Todd Bridges in it. I just literally That's I had right. my hands clasped. And during the final sequence, um, during the final sequence, the um, the robot may do something to Bo's pants. And oh, I thought right. after after it does that, I thought, wouldn't like the, the closing credits start rolling and you get like those moments where people like turn the camera and it freeze frames. Cool. And I thought maybe you'd see the robot. It would. And then you'd think it was freeze frame. Two doors would fly open and Gary Coleman would jump out. You know, it's interesting that you bring this up because I actually didn't connect Dana Plato and Todd Bridges as being on the same show together. But, you know, there's lots of actors here that appear but not together, but were on mm -hmm. like, for instance, Bob Denver and Dwayne Hickman from Dobie Gillis, right? And then Bob yes. Denver and Don Wells from Gilligan's Island. Half the cast of Leave it to Beaver is in this, but none of them share yes. scenes together. And oddly enough, David Nelson only appears in a janitor That's closet. That's right. I, He's the cutest janitor I've ever seen. Isn't he? Just finished House of Death. I'll come on up. We got to do the. I got. I got to do the promotion of House of Death. With <laughs> wait, wait, wait. That. It's okay. It's, it's okay in this episode because you actually, the director actually appeared in this yeah. movie, so you can talk about it. <laughs> yeah. But just this once. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. That's right. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Ooh, I, I almost stepped over a line. Um, but one of the things about the, the movie, too, is that not only is it filled with great early 80s sitcom stars, but it is filled with 50s and 60s sitcoms stars. Yeah, maybe we too. should have prefaced that before we went into the... I, I was going to try to move through the students okay. into the teachers. Oh, okay, if okay. I could. We mentioned Tony Dow. Um, uh, so, so much of the movie is J.J. trying to convince Beth to go out with him. But she has a thing where she says at one point, like, I felt like I was nobody. Then I went out with Bo and now I feel like I'm somebody. Um, so that's kind of why she's sticking with him, sort of. But every time him and Jay, her and J.J. get together, come on. You can feel it. I can feel it here. It's like <laughs> flames against my face. What, what is that from? I forget is it what that's from. Getting hot in here, guys. <laughs> yes, exactly. But 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 what begins to happen is people keep seeing JJ and Beth kind of looking at one another. Generally, it's uh, Anne Marie, oh. and so JJ keeps end up getting beaten up or having crazy things happen it, to him by Bo and his it's friends. It's probably important to note that Anne Marie is absolutely in love with Bo. Yes. And there's actually a line, and I wish I could remember it, about her being so dedicated to him. Like, she doesn't say I would die for him, but she says something just as sort of Yeah, emphatic. more like, she, yes, yeah, she is, this is not Casey. I melt for him, I melt for him. Oh, yes, yep, yep. And she uh, she actually, we'll, we'll talk about what she does later on when we get to the car segment, when we talk oh, about Bob Denver. That's the best scene, yeah. But, okay, so what we'll do, what we'll hit on real quick right here, Kara, Dana Plato's character, really doesn't do much. Her through line is that she goes out with older men, and oh, you see sure. her at the final dance, and she's with a guy who's, like, 40. Yes. And, the, and someone says, oh, it's so nice to meet your dad. This is my date. And it's like, okay, is she 16? I don't know, I guess have fun 40 year old guy before you go to prison i don't know what i'm looking at here but um you know you know that's uh who who wrote this that's an eisenstock and mints who wrote this um we'll talk about them later but um so what you have here is so you've got school going on and you have all the teachers and all the oh, faculty wait before you get to the teachers i don't want to necessarily call them all out by name but uh, jj's group is like this uh, uh really cool oh, yeah. A cast of misfits obviously crispin glover i've mentioned him um tom felt? billard yes who's crazy leo bandini yes and i can't remember chuck, everybody chuck that... oh yeah chucky is uh michael zorick and then um then there's this guy who's like been in high school since he was for like 15 years he has children Kurt. yeah he's so good and then there's chuck. one more and i can't remember that he's the ba- not bandini um you know the the acrobat Harry? Oh, is it Jerry or is it... Um, it might be Jerry. I, John Caleri? Yeah, that was really difficult for me because he looks so much like Tom Villard. Yeah, that, it's that's him. The, it's that's him. the problem is if, if you can have a movie with one too many Spicolis, this oh. could be the movie. And I called it. He was the really cool kid in Square Pegs that okay. was dating uh, Tracy Nelson's character. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, and the um, uh, Dirty Kurt is uh john grease or grise who was in swap meet two years before which is a pretty fun movie and of course was always uh forever in my heart will be uncle rico from napoleon dynamite and and so uh oh and one more plot line that's going on there are a bunch of different plot lines there's like a photo club happening and there's there's a there's parties and we'll we'll get to after we discuss the faculty i will get to the big sort of plot line of the movie um but there is one more plot line it is um our favorite jenny piccolo as peggy and who is the other gal it's it's laurie hendler from um give me a break 
Lori Henler, Lori Henler. I'm not sure what her character's name is. It's I'm Nadine. Oh, oh, Nadine. It's Nadine and Peggy. And Nadine and Peggy are in the uh, uh, photography club, which is run by Anne Marie. And they want their, like, what is it, like a nature shot to yes. be a shot of bows behind. Oh, the so best kind actually, of nature. That they spend the whole movie trying to get a shot of Anthony Edwards behind, and generally they get a shot of the big fat guy. Who's the big fat guy? Chucky the, Dipple. Yeah, this is hilarious, and it's kind of sad because they're so grossed out by it, and that's probably offensive. But yeah, yeah. So, so that, that there's that going on, and then there are one of the big plot lines is that Bo's dad is doing some kind of contest where he's going to give like ten thousand dollars to somebody, a like the best member. teacher at school. Yes. And so and, then Dwayne Hickman gets into the game here. Yes, Dwayne Hickman is going out with, is it Miss D'Angelo? Angela Cartwright. I yeah, so, that... well, first of all, Dwayne Hickman plays Mr. Plaza. Mm-hmm. Because... So is Angela yeah. Cartwright the Cartwright sister of the lady that was in Aliens, whose name I can't remember? Veronica? Nancy... Oh, Veronica, Veronica, yes. Oh, yeah. Because they Could look be. alike, right? Could be she, Veronica from all the X-Files. Yes, Yes, I think so. I think so. Yeah, they definitely look alike. Yeah, and there's a really the, – the, the plot line there is that Mr. Plaza and Miss D'Angelo have been going out forever. But now that this this has started, uh, um, Mr. Cartwright is kind of um, distancing – or Mr. Plaza, I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh, there's so many names. Yeah. Mr. Plaza is distancing himself from her as he says because she's very Italian. Oh, that's and, right. And Mr. Middleton prefers wasps. And she says, but you're Greek. And he puts his hand over her mouth and says, don't tell anyone. Yes. So their their plot line is this weird thing where they always meet in these really strange places because he's afraid people will see them. With the best sequence where they meet in a theater and the theater is playing Wicked Wicked Cowgirls. And as they're sitting there <laughs> watching this movie, Wicked Wicked Cowgirls, suddenly one of uh, JJ's crowd comes up and says, hey, I, hey, aren't you Mr... Mr. I've forgotten his name. Aren't you Plaza. Mr. Plaza? Miss D'Angelo? And then he, and, and the, uh, no, we're not. Oh my gosh, it's Miss, Mr. Plaza, Miss D'Angelo. Hey, everybody. And the whole <laughs> of the crowd is like four seats away and they're all in Wicked, Wicked Cowgirls. And it's, it's a great scene. And that's sort of the plot line that goes through it where eventually she kind of kicks him out, but then she might kind of bring him back in at the end. And, and it's sort of to show how, um, like Mr. Middleton is really, he's really big with this place because this guy is able to uh, reject this gal. He's been going out with for yeah. ages just to try to get this thing. And the great thing about Tony Dow's character as the, the principal. principal, principal Kinney is that he doesn't give a crap about any of it. He's just, he's, he seems like a, he's constantly having to reprimand JJ, but he doesn't do it in the, I had, a, I had a vice principal like this when I was in high school, who the few times he had to sort of reprimand me, he didn't do it in a way where it was like he was talking down to me or whatever. He'd just say some, can I tell a quick story or should sure. I tell it later? Um, so I, I uh, the bell rang to get to class. You got like 30 seconds to get to class or something like that. I had to pee. So I ran into the restroom and I'm standing at a urinal. I'm doing my business. I, I'm standing there, and all of a sudden I see a shadow on my right at the next urinal. I look up, and there is Dr. Agor, the principal of the school, standing there facing me, looking right at me as I'm peeing. I say, oh, hey, how you doing, Dr. Agor? Shouldn't you be going to class? I'm sorry, I had to use the bathroom. And he just stood there staring at me. And I said, could you give me maybe another 30 seconds? Could you just not stand there? And he just stood there looking at me. 
and I finished my business and I went away and I was like, well, that was weird. And uh, maybe 15 minutes later, I don't remember his name now, the vice principal's name, um, but he, he wants to see you. And I went down there and I said, hey, what's up? And he said, did you just uh, go into the bathroom when you should have been going to uh, to class? I'm sorry. Yeah, I really had to go and I was finishing up something in the previous period and I, I couldn't do it. Uh, well, Dr. Agor says that he told you to go and you you continue doing what you were doing. I said, well, he was I, he was kind of watching me pee and I, I, I was I was a little embarrassed and I, I, I wanted to just finish. Well, he um, he is requesting an apology from you because you didn't go to, you didn't stop what you were doing and go to class. I said, for what? I had to pee. And he said, well, he wants an apology. And I said, what's the punishment? Well, the punishment is a detention. And I said, and, and, and the way that the place was laid out, uh, there was a side door that you could look through and see into the principal's office. And I saw him in there. And I said, oh, there he is. I'll go see him. And I stood up, took about four steps. He said, no, no, Dan, you have to make an appointment. You have to come back later and you have to apologize to him. And I looked at the vice principal and I said, just give me the detention. And he said, you got it, Dan. And he gave me the detention and I went on my way. So that's a, it's a strange story, but uh, I'm glad I got to share it. First week of school and you're already in to see me. I missed you over the summer, Mr. Kinney. How was Club Med? Lousy. Rich guy's got all the girls. I couldn't even get a suntan. When you went to the beach, did you remember to take your sports jacket off? Oh, well, maybe I'll try that next year. So, uh, what did you do over the summer? Ah, the usual. Safari in Kenya, dinner at the White House. The rest of the time, I just played video games. Did you uh, think about your future? My future? Nope, nope. Never came up. You know, JJ, down deep in the far, far reaches of your innermost self, <clears throat> I think there must be some potential. But uh, we're never going to find it unless you start caring about something. Hey, hey, I happen to care very deeply about who becomes Playmate of the Year. I know, I know. What are you going to do with me? I don't know. But uh, let's start with a week of detention. It's a beginning. If we can go a little into the story, I know we're kind of jumping around here, but what I like so much about Principal Kinney is that it's revealed later that J.J. really doesn't have any kind of parental guidance. And, like, his dad is never around. I think his mom had left, and so, and his dad travels or something. And so he's basically in his house all the time. He really has no money. He has no food in his fridge. And he's sort of living sort of as an adult in a teenager body and a teenager mind. But he has to take care of himself. Um, which makes him the perfect foe for Bo because he's smarter because he's just been on his own and had to be like an adult in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. But the principal has a very father-like attitude with him. Yes. And um, I don't know if he has that with the other students, but you can tell, because we don't see him with the other students, but you can tell that um, Principal Kinney has this very uh, fraternal quality about him with JJ that I thought was really nice and kind of textured in a way because... I think Michael J. Fox's character, J.J., was really receptive to it because I think he really desired yes. it. And and they don't ever go into, like, talking about it or anything, but I definitely get that feeling watching it that there's, like, a, like a friendship that goes beyond I'm your principal. Yes, yeah. And the way they frame it, too, like, the I think the first time he gets sent to the principal's office, uh, Michael J. Fox is like, 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 
leaning against the front of the desk with his, like his hand, his chin on his hands, like on the desk, looking up at him, sort of like, yes. oh, I'm back. Yes. Look at me, I'm back so early in the thing. And he's oh, JJ, you know. I just, I just like the, um, I like that um, their dynamic. Yeah, I do too. It's, it's like, it's, Tony Dell's only in like three scenes, but there, yeah. there's something about those scenes that are really good. There's like the scenes I rem- remember, maybe not the most, but pretty close mm-hmm. to to the most. Mm-hmm. And let's see, we get uh, Dawn Wells is in it playing. She's the home act. That's right. Lady who's always making nice things for Bo with possum. And- yeah, yeah, yes. And um, uh, uh, there is a sequence with Eleanor Donahue and Ken Osmond, who was uh, Eddie Haskell. That's right, parents. They're, they're, they're parents. They're um, uh, Beth, Nancy McKean's parents. And there's just a great scene where um, Bo, who's normally a jerk, acts like Eddie Haskell. That's right. It was funny. Eddie Haskell, which is really funny. Uh, let's see. And then the last, oh, I wait. think the last. Oh, wait. Are you going to talk about Frank Bank? I can't. Oh, you want to talk about Frank? Well, Bank. I just want to say this because you made me think of it. Um, something that always happens. Okay, so I'm really in love with Leave It to Beaver. All of the actors, not just Tony Dow. I think it's a great show. I watched it with my father, so I have a very special feeling towards it. I have a lot of affection for it. But Lumpy Rutherford, who was played by Frank Bank, is a character that I always adored. And Frank Bank, when he grew up, he wrote a book about his life. And I think in the book he, or maybe it wasn't in the book, but at some point he claimed to have slept with like a thousand women. Or like hundreds of women or something. And somebody interviewed Ken Osmond, who played Eddie Haskell, and he said, I don't think that's true. (laughs) (laughs) And so whenever I see Eddie Haskell, you know, Ken Osmond, I always just think of that delivery. I don't think that's true. I don't think that happened, guys. (laughs) So it was funny. But also Frank Bank is in this movie, and he's only in one scene, and he plays like a caterer who Otto works for. Yes, yes, at the big at the big party where it kind of screws up and and uh, um, Bo ends up in his own cake, and there's a lot of yelling and such. Um, now there's also uh, now I couldn't I I recognized him but I didn't look him up. Steve Franken. Oh, I love him. What what is he? I know I don't know from... what what he's from, but I know I've seen him in like eight thousand different things. Okay, he plays Doctor Fritz Hopman, who is the blind. A uh, history professor, uh, teacher who has a very violent dog, guide That's dog. That's right. And and one of the funniest scenes in the film is a scene where uh, uh, JJ tries to sneak into um, yes. the class. The film is very manic. It's constantly manic, which means that it's generally more amusing than funny. But those moments when it actually slows down, and there are a few of them, like this scene is actually funny the the sort of the way the doctor kind of trumps jj in the end is is like made me go so you know it was it was a uh, it was nice yeah it was so, funny so the last i think the last parent or the last adult is bob denver mm. is crispin glover's dad milton 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 feld and this is kind of the crux of it because jj keeps trying to sort of hang out with beth Bo sees it and gets back at JJ in one way or another. One of the ways he does it is hiding a stake in oh, JJ's backpack. Sorry. So suddenly the blind man is getting dragged around campus by his dog uh, because of the stake. And, and Beth sees that and thinks JJ is as awful as everyone's told him, which breaks his heart a little. And then what, en- what ends up happening is JJ has a rotten car and he, uh, he um, says, Bo, let's race $1,000 to the winner. And Bo says, your car's crap. And JJ says, don't worry about it. Well, earlier in the movie, we learned that Milton Feld, 
Bob Denver has got a brand new. Is it Trans Am? It's some Uber kind of sporty, sporty car. Yeah, it's a brand new Trans Am. So they're going to take out the Trans Am and they're going to beat Bo. And that's sort of the second half of the movie is, okay, we're going to take the Trans Am and beat Bo. But Bo gets um, Anne-Marie and another gal who I got a little lost on who yeah, she was. Yeah, I don't was. know who she was either. I didn't recognize her. And I was yeah, like, I'm going to say she might be swoozy. There's a swoozy. <laughs> Maybe. They, they dress as punks, go to the local roller, roller skating place where um, Archie and Chucky are hanging out. And they have Archie and Chucky take them on a joyride, and they end up destroying the car. Am I Looney Tunes, or are those two punk girls coming on to us? Hey! Hi! You two alone? Well, yeah. I mean, no, not really. We came on the same bus. How am I doing? You're dying. Shut up and try not to look so desperate. Just let me do the talking. So, ladies. <clears throat> Want to rent a motel room? And so a lot of the second half of the movie is all these misfits who have sort of like J.J. has always told he's never accomplished anything or finished anything. They put the car with a lot of help from Otto and his robot back together again. That's right. Don't they have to like sacrifice the robot for? They have to sacrifice the robot at oh, one point. So sad. And 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 so they put the car back together again, and the movie ends. Well, the movie ends with a big scene at a dance, but the big climax is the race between JJ in this super souped-up car. I forget where they get the engine from, like a jet or something like that. It was a bus, wasn't it? Was it a bus? Oh, yes, they, it was a bus. Because they take that bus. They hijack the bus, but they they take the bus, but before they can. Um, take the engine from the bus, the bus has to be taken on its full route. So one of the guys is in the bus, and he's one of the Sp Spicoli-type characters. He's in the bus driving everyone around. And it ends with a big race, and that's where I'll stop it right here so we can actually talk about it. But it ends with a huge race. Does J.J. beat Bo? And if Bo beats J.J., what does that mean? Because J.J. doesn't have any money. That's and right. And J.J. ends up disgraced. I don't know. Does it end up sad? I don't know. I don't know, but let's uh, let's talk about it. It could shall end we? up like that movie, uh, Summer School, not the Summer School with uh, Mark Harmon, but the Summer School from the '70s that was originally called Mag Wheels. Do you remember that movie? Oh yeah, I do. And do you remember they have the tug of war with the truck club versus the van club, and like yeah. and like uh, Anita, who is the girl that's sort of torn between the two clubs, ends up falling down like a fucking mountain, and yes. and the the love interest who's in the van club. Uh, John Laughlin, I think, is the actor um, from The Hills Have Eyes Part Two. He goes running down to the hill, and then she's like on death's door, and then it like ends. Oh my gosh! Yeah, the, <laughs> the seventies. We didn't understand how to, you know, end movies in a fun way. No, we, we well, that's problem. not a fun movie. Like she almost gets gang raped. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, it's supposed wow. to be a comedy, but uh -huh. um, that's that's how maybe this movie could have ended. I'm just saying. Yes. Yeah, so let's let's talk about uh, Amanda. Do you want to ask me what I thought, or shall I ask you what you thought? Since uh, I've been yakking. Well, I'll go ahead and go. I mean, there's so many storylines yeah. going on. It's really hard for Please. me to like talk about the film as a cohesive whole because it's not a cohesive whole. It's like a bunch of random split ends happening, and it goes all over the place until it kind of pulls together in the second half with the car race. But it's so good. It's so good. It's funny. 
Um, it's a delight is what it is. It's just really light and fun. Um, I think the teenagers are really well written, even though you only get to see Kathy Silvers and Lori Hemler in a couple of scenes, you kind of get a feel for who they are. And they're both really good in it. Um, everybody's really good. Uh, and it, it's meta in a way because it's got all these 50s kind of teenage actors now working with the new generation of these 80s teen actors in this kind of not really a teen sex comedy but if you added some nudity you probably could have played this in the theater and it wouldn't have seemed that different from something like a lower grade Porky's so, which is probably why I like it because the Porky series is like my favorite thing in the world and I really like these kind of like underdog kind of characters um in these like high school situations coming up and I like that the kids really felt like kids I think the adults were maybe played a little more broadly like the blind professor um, maybe not so much Tony Dow, who's completely nuanced and wonderful, I might add. He is. He, he really is quite, <laughs> quite good. At, yeah, his his final scene in the car is really nice. Yeah, he, yeah. But yeah. most of them aren't like that. The, the, I think that the, teenage char the, the teenagers in the film got the better end of the script in terms of characterization. Um, of course, we're spending more time with them. But it's a hard film to explain. Like some of the stuff you were talking about, I kind of forgot because so much was happening <laughs> yeah. that it was hard for me to remember all of the pranks and the jokes and everything. But I will say, Crispin Glover is funny like Scarlett Johansson. He is, <laughs> to me, the standout in this movie. He was in scenes where he didn't even have dialogue and I was laughing because he was so funny. He's so, I mean, let's put it out there. I've been in love with Crispin Glover for as long as I can remember. I love him, love him, love him. I think he's wonderful. I loved him, of course, in Friday 13th Part 4 and in Back to the Future, but it was really uh, Willard. That oh, yeah. stole my heart. I think he's an amazing actor. And I think he's interesting in comedy because he takes this really weird approach to these characters. Like he's in My Tutor. And I think in My Tutor, he plays a very similar character, only more, um, even more sexual. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. because it's a, because it was rated R. Um, I specifically remember them going to like a whorehouse. And I, I'm doing this off memory, but I feel like he wants to get tied up. And then something happens and they have to leave. And I feel like they have to take him on the apparatus he's tied up on. Is that right? And, <laughs> I, don't, I haven't seen my tutor oh. since I, I snuck a late night viewing when my mom was asleep. Yeah, uh, I, I haven't seen it with, in a very, very long time. Um, I think it's probably better than Private Lessons, but I, it's not a rewatch necessarily. But he's so good in this. Like every line of dialogue is absolutely hilarious. His character is, is kind of broadly drawn as compared to the others. But... It, he's got this real deadpan. Oh, I don't even know how to describe how he approaches he has, the character. He does have one of the moments probably, there are probably maybe a half a dozen moments where I literally laugh, I laughed out loud. And he has one of the moments near the end when he asks, they ask the two girls to dance yes. and he expects them to say no. And they said, yeah, we'd love to dance. And he said, okay, sorry about that. Well, at least you didn't hit us. And he begins to walk away. <laughs> and the right. way he said that, I laughed. But and it takes like three seconds for no. Wait, they said yes. What? 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 <laughs> that was a lovely moment. Yeah, he's he's just really good in the part. And um, and I know I did this with Parker Stevenson though, Stroker Ace. Like Parker Stevenson is not the funny guy in that movie, but he shows <laughs> up and he doesn't even have dialogue, and I'm laughing. And I'm like, he's brilliant. <laughs> he's brilliant. And I know part of that is because I'm like madly in love with him, so I have to excuse that. But um, but. 
Crispin Glover is like the highlight of this film for me because he's so adorable in it and he's so funny. And in general, I agree with you. It's not necessarily a laugh out loud film, but it's so good. Like I can't explain why it's good because it's so much about it is like, it's going off the rails every 30 seconds and, uh-huh. and it's not necessarily, it's not a bad film. It's made well, you no, know, and it's... everybody put their heart into it, but it's not necessarily a good film in, in that it's, it's, just all over the map but (laughs) but if you're willing to drop a little acid emotionally you know and sit down with it and kind of just go with the flow i think it's a really fucking good time yeah i think yeah i think it's it's one of those um post uh american graffiti animal house porkies that that um equates manic with funny yes but some but sometimes manic can be very entertaining and i think that's what this is there were there were moments that moment with at least you didn't hit us made me laugh out loud the moment um when and i i'm not going to spoil it but the 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 end of the the end of the like i mentioned earlier the end of the scene with dr hopman there where where he kind of gets the better of jj when you don't think he's going to made me laugh and my favorite line and it's a Michael J. Fox delivery, and I won't get it right. Is um, is when uh, Crispin Glover and his chunky friend have wrecked the car, and they're hiding in the closet of, the, right. of his house, and they won't get out. And Todd Bridges and Michael J. Fox and the robot are at the front door, and they're knocking and knocking. And and Michael J. Fox is kind of leaning with his ear to the window. And Todd Bridges says, "Come on, let's get out of here. They're not here. No, no, they're here. I can hear tripping and falling." because they're shown throughout the whole movie being very clumsy and I laughed out loud because it's just it's just perfect delivery well looks like there's nobody home let's come back later no 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 they're in there they're in there I heard tripping and falling and there are several other moments I mean I think uh, the greatest non-funny moment is after I'm gonna spoil it folks I'm sorry but JJ wins the race Yay! He wins. He wins the race. He he is given the money by Bo instantly. So Bo is not a jerk on that account. But Bo probably had like ten thousand dollars in his wallet or something. Sure. And he instantly he gives money to all his friends to rent tuxedos to go to the big school dance, which is really cool. And there's a moment where um, JJ arrives at the dance and people are so relieved that Bo has been deposed, that they're applauding him and they're patting his back and yeah, JJ and everything stops and the music stops and JJ delivers this little speech that's something along the lines of uh, alright everybody, the king is dead the last thing we need is another king, play a song and they play a song and that's that's my favorite sort of moment in the film Oh, you know what, did that make you think of Massacre Central High? Yeah, it did now, (laughs) wow yeah, yeah yeah, it has sort of that. It's just, it's just as lovely. It's just, I like Michael J. Fox, and I just, I think, um, I think. Um, well, can we talk I, about when they're on the Ferris wheel? And oh, that's a lovely scene. Yeah, yeah, it's a lovely scene. But like, she's like, so you don't like people, and he's like, oh, I like people. I just don't like crowds or whatever. And they're talking, and then she goes, "Here we are, telling each other our deepest thoughts." <laughs> I'm sorry, it's so goofy. And we're, and and we're, we're strangers. strangers. <laughs> <laughs> it's so like it's wonderful but it's like such a teenage thing to say yes because they're really not sharing their deepest thoughts like my deepest thought is that i'm gonna try to kill myself and like when i get home today because i just bought a gun and you know yes. what I mean? And they're like i don't like crowds you're so deep yeah and- <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> and the whole t- yeah yeah that's it's and it's it's great because um i i've i always thought my, what, oh what well, one of my dreams when i was a kid is was to get stuck at the top of a ferris wheel with nancy mckeon but it never happened you know what that was all of our fantasies i'm not even gay <laughs> she's so fucking cool you know what i mean like yeah, your Palnicek yeah. was the coolest when she yeah. showed up on facts of life it was a game changer you know and mm-hmm. and she was so cool like she was super independent and there's something about nancy mckeon that she takes that into all of her roles and i don't yeah. know if that's just nancy mckeon or that's just her approach but she has this really cool even though this character is kind of obviously missing something at the beginning because she feels like she has to date Bo because she wants to be this like special person in this special group. Yes. There's still like a real strength to her. And, yeah. and it's, I love that about her. She's just very, very strong in everything she does. And, um, and not crazy like Shannon Doherty. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, well, the, the thing I like with her is that every time she meets up with JJ, they're flirting and they're they're talking and they're doing this and that. But the problem is that this is Bo's territory. So every time they get together, someone in Bo's clique is nearby and sees right. it. So they don't even get like two minutes on the ro- on on the on the roller coaster. Yeah, that would have been a scene. <laughs> two minutes on a Ferris wheel. Um, because Sharing their deepest thoughts. Yeah, there's KC down there looking up at him going, Mr. Cunningham, look at that. <laughs> I don't know if everybody's going to get that reference, but that's uh, I, Anne We're Marie. not going to tell you. Oh, Crystal Bernard okay. is good in everything but Happy Days. I have to say, I love her in everything I've seen her in. She's great on Wings. You know, I think she's adorable. Slumber Party Master too. That's wonderful. right. She's great in that. She's great in everything, but as KC... Not so much. But it's interesting that she was with uh, Kathy Silvers. They do share screen time together, and they did come from Happy Days together. Yeah, but had they already uh, shot Happy those scenes together? Like, had they already had that season passed where they were on the show together? If, if this aired in... October? Uh, did we say this aired? October of 83. October of 83. This is the start of season 11. Both of them are gone. They were Okay, but so they'd already had a season together. Yes, they'd okay. already spent... Yeah. They'd already done that together. Okay. So, yeah, it's unfortunate. Casey's one of those characters that they introduced to replace Joni. They introduce her four or five episodes into the season. She doesn't do much. And then Joni comes back and she's gone. You so can't she's one replace of those... Joni. Yeah, exactly. Because, you, know, you know what's funny? Can I just say, and and this is for you you fans of us talking about Joni Love Shachi. At the, we, we did our, when we did our Aaron Moran tribute a few months ago for my podcast, we mentioned that more or less something along the lines of that we thought that Happy Days is kind of the story of Joni. Yes. It's also sort sort of the story of Fonzie, but he's kind of superhuman. But it really is the story of Joni. And then like two weeks ago, MeTV did an article on their website about the best Happy Days characters. And Joni was like number three. And at the very end of it, it said something like, if you watch the show all the way through, it really is the story of Joni Cunningham. Huh. I thought, wait a minute, no one's ever said that, as far as I know, until we said that. <laughs> well, okay. Well, yeah, maybe we all came to the decision at the same time. Well, I, I, feel like, I feel like, and we're going off on a tangent, I would be really surprised if anybody's listening and you can follow this conversation. Would you write <laughs> to us and let us know? I'm really sorry. This was It's the week of 4th of July. We're all frazzled. We had one day off yes. in the middle of the week. Nobody knows yeah. what day it is. Um, so I'm going to, can I, can I say what I love about the theme song? Okay. Yes. Yes. I'm going right back into it. So the theme song whose chorus is, as you heard, it's in, oh yeah, school is in. So I, I'm not going to get this right, but when I finished watching it, 
uh, for the first time in years the other day, I got up and I started singing the theme song. And I remember the first two lines, which are, uh, I'm so glad that school is here. Get to see my old classmates again, or something like that. That's almost the tune. I haven't heard the song in a few hours. Bear with me. <laughs> it sounds like fall break, actually, from you. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Like but then I began to sing, right? It's like, get to see my old classmates again. We're going to school and we're doing some stuff and we're <laughs> hanging around at school. And then, and I sang <laughs> and the, the school, rest of the And the school is the school with the school and <laughs> school. School, exactly, school is that, in. That's, school it was is like, in. School is in. Yeah, and it was like, school and the school and the school, it's in. <laughs> and I back and I listened to the song again, and it's almost exactly like that. <laughs> After three or four lines, it's like, the guy is just like, there's more to the verse. We're going to class and we're sitting around. We're going to have a good time and go to town. You know, he's singing it like that. <laughs> and then the lyrics are so like that, that the second verse there are no lyrics. It's just a saxophone. And the saxophone sounded like me singing the made-up lyrics. You know what, though? They shot their wad with the school is the school, that a school is a school, the school is in, that they couldn't come up with a second verse. <laughs> that's that's pretty much exactly what I sang about two days ago when I watched this. I was just walking around my living room, kind of putting my thoughts together about it, and I started singing. And yeah, that's what I sang. And I thought, that's why I love this song, because it's like, you know exactly what it's about. <laughs> but after about three lines, the people singing just abandon it, you know, and they just go, you know what it's about. You it's, don't need to. It's a wad shooter, baby. It's a wad shooter. They shot their wad. <laughs> these, these lies don't need to make sense. You're not listening. You're you're looking at the screen going, Michael J. Fox, Todd Briggs, Dwayne Hickman, Don Wells. Do you know what? Uh, I feel like this episode is as frenetic as the movie we just watched. It, it should be. It should be because, I'll be honest, Poison Ivy might slow down okay. for me. Well, okay. But, um, okay. Let's try to... I don't know if we've actually... Have we really discussed the film? I mean, you have, but I'm so worried that people are like, what Let's let, let, talking um, about? So, like, basically, it's the cool kids versus the geek kids. And yes. it's like a, it's like the socias versus the greasers, right? Or whatever they were in The Outsiders. Yes, and, it's, it's the preppies versus, like, the nerds kind yeah. of... Yeah. And and the nerds are of course the most lovable kind uh, of yes. the most lovable kind, the most lovable characters. And it's a story of it's like Revenge of the Nerds. It's like any other movie that had come out during yeah. that era, but made for television. Mm -hmm. And um, they did a really good job because it feels like a teen sex comedy, and, and there's no sex in it, but you know it has that feeling of yeah. um, those movies that you would everybody was seeing in the theater at that time. And they did a really good job, like. TV sizing it like I can't think of a tele I can't yes, think of another exactly. word for it but like mm -hmm. to make it uh, compatible for television they did a really good job of encapsulating all those things about those movies that people were lining up to see and then making them appropriate for television but yet still yeah. pretty entertaining because they they do like Michael J Fox's character is one of those he's sort of um he would be like a Bill Murray or someone in a movie who would be like like the, there's a scene where uh, Nancy McKean's character is working at a bakery that's where her job is and he wants to talk to her and there's so many people there and she goes you got to take a number and he says well, what number are we on 86 I don't know if that's a get smart reference because of the height you remember oh, that could right. be a, um uh, 86 he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a bunch of numbers. And he says, here's 86, and he's got it. So sweet, because he uses it later. And, yes, at the end he uses it to sort of sort of seal the deal 
in the end when they're at the dance. Oh, so, so cute. Where it's quite, it's quite lovely. It's, and, and it's things like, um, let's get on the Ferris wheel. Oh, the line goes on forever. But you're with J.J., JJ gets got her to the front of the line in like 20 seconds and he's like he's one of those he's a lovable rogue but he's not really a rogue he's just uh he doesn't have as much as everyone else well, so he has to uh, it, has to ha- he has to he has to he has to it's not a not a gimmick per se but he has to use what he has and what and and I'm sure the rich guy would go into the line and everyone would be like, oh, the rich guy is here. Let him through. Whereas JJ has to do a little chicanery and say that uh, Nancy McKeon has like two days to live. I think that's what he says. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you brought up Bill Murray because now that I think about it, the parallels to Meatballs are pretty similar because the girl that he was after was kind of the straight man. Do you remember that? She, was, yes. she wasn't given a lot of funny dialogue and neither is Nancy McKeon. And she's kind of thrust into this sort of, although I don't remember there being necessarily a triangle, but like, she's sort of thrust into this relationship that she wants to be in, but then JJ sort of represents and Bill Murray's character, this like, I take no responsibility for anything kind of thing. Yes. And so that's puts her off a little, but then it's also about one camp versus the other camp. And the other camp is the really rich kids. Yes. And that brings up that you, do you, do you ever read the onion? Sometimes. That, 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 that great onion article about, um, uh, what is it? Um, camp full of poor kids uh loses terribly to rich kid camp (laughs) and it's just this article where yeah it's basically um this camp full of really intrepid smart intelligent crafty poor kids just couldn't beat the rich kids who had more resources and access to more equipment and it was just this article where it's like every paragraph is like oh the fat kid tried to do this but they sent a really (laughs) thin muscular kid after him to beat the crap out of him you know and and stuff like that it's just just like it's the real real life version of what would happen yeah but this has this definitely has a meatball spill to it in that i think for the most part well i mean these kids are really like the one guy's like 30 and he's got (laughs) he's got kids and there's this really great line where uh the chucky says are you a virgin and he's shaving because he's older than everybody (laughs) and he says i have kids and then crispin glover's character says my parents always wanted kids and then I laughed because it was so it was cute. Because he's and funny, you, like Scarlett Johansson. Yes, and then when you finally meet, uh, what is what is his character's name? Uh, Dirty Kurt. When you meet his wife and That's all right. his kids at the dance, his wife is pregnant, and he he like points at his the baby, and he goes, "That's Kurt Jr." and points at his wife's belly and says, "That's little JJ" or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they say we're gonna <laughs> name it JJ, like, even if it's a boy. And JJ. <laughs> And JJ's like, no, don't do that. But they're gonna do it. So, it's so but funny. It, yeah, it's it's very it's very much your it's it's a standard uh, nerds versus preps. But it's very it's very manic. It's very uh, f- I was gonna say frantic and possibly frenetic. Yes. At the same time, and it's just so much fun. And then and then you know uh, uh, I was gonna say Marty. JJ wins the race, and then he gets everyone the tuxedos. And the moment they're all putting on their tuxedos, the song starts up again. So if you've forgotten how great the song is, there again. <laughs> the school again. is here because we have a school. <laughs> school, 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 school. <laughs> dishes. I think they say the word dishes in the song at one point. <laughs> uh, dishes, um, fruit cup, I don't know. Uh, and and that's when there's the great scene where um, JJ's car is no longer working. It got burnt out because he had to use like the, the jet right. thing on it. And he's just kind of walking to school. A car pulls up and it's Tony Dow and he gets and they have this wonderful chat 
uh, where it's like Tony Dow says, yeah, I heard what happened today. And, you know, well, it's not Tony Dow, it's his character. Uh, says, I heard what happened today. And, you know, one thing I hate, it's car chases or car races. But not today. <laughs> and he thinks that it's really, it's really lovely. And then they all go to the cruise to fun. That's what the final dance is called. It's, it's not Enchantment Under the Sea. It's cruise to fun. So good. But, uh, I'm okay. I'm getting, yeah. I'm getting a little weepy with all the beautiful moments in this film. It 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 really is. Lo- it, it it I I think it really I think it's really fun. And then yeah, the the last. Can I tell you the last time you see Bo? Sure. The robot pulls his pants off, and that means Kathy and her friend get the picture of his behind. Yay! Everybody's so happy at High School USA. Dana Plato's going out with her forty-year-old sergeant, and Todd Bridges ro- puts his robot back together. And- that would make me happy. And Emmanuel Lewis jumps out of it. Oh, no, no. no Why no. doesn't Todd Bridges get a gal? I don't know. There was, there was, he's the only black person in the movie. And God forbid they There'd pair a... him with somebody who's not black or get a black <laughs> yes. actress, right? To, uh, to yeah. come in. That's right. I mean, maybe, well, they make a bunch of, there is some jokes in there that maybe wouldn't play so well now. Like there's like, um, oh, well, you're really smart and you don't play basketball and you also don't know how to dance. Also don't know how to dance. Yes. Yeah, yes. that might be marginally offensive. It, it was funny because they put that 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 you don't know how to dance joke comes be um, five seconds after a really important moment. So you're almost like the dance joke. I might have laughed when I was a kid. Now I kind of look at it and I'm not sure. But what it made me do was forget the really important thing that uh, happens. Yeah, maybe and, it's in the wrong place there. Yeah, I, and I will say I, I've got it playing on the TV right here, and I'm, they're at the dance, and the the big guy, what is his name? Um, Chucky. 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 When when Crispin Glover and Chucky enter the dance, they go through one of those doorways that has like streamers or whatever those things are like hanging in front of it that you have to walk through, and and when Crispin Glover goes through it, he kind of parts them, but Chucky doesn't. So as he goes through, they all end up in his mouth and on his face <laughs> and wrapped around his neck and everything. I always love that. That joke never gets old. I think like. <laughs> I want to say like uh, like like Groucho or Harpo did that back in like 1931, and I loved it then. I love it now. Well, but here's the important thing. I made my decision. Uh oh. <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I'm going to spend the evening with Tony Dow. <gasps> More wow. experienced. He has a car. Yes. yes. <laughs> it just seems like the right decision in my heart right now. I I, I think I think the thing that's probably a better choice because like when they wrecked the car, he and his friend hid in the closet with lunch that's <laughs> right but you know we need to talk about so maybe we we should have backtracked when we talk about you sort of mentioned it's a it. movie that if we, if we had gone if we had gone linear this literally would have taken us four or five hours yes. so i think we're keeping well you know when when uh crystal bernard dresses up as a punk to get the car what are their names it's like slime and putrid it's or something, something really like funny that. and i wish i'd written them down but like that scene is my favorite scene in the movie because, first of all, she looks oh. like Anne Marie with like a fucking mohawk wig on. And I'm sorry, I know I'm cursing a lot. I'm going to try to curb that. Um, I'm having a drink. So it's obvious that, that she's Anne Marie. Yes. And the fact that they can't figure it out is hilarious. Yes. And then the, whoever that second girl is that shows up and they're at the roller skating rink. And it's just the best scene ever. It's just, I can't explain it. I mean, you'd have to see the movie and the movie is available on DVD. People should buy it. I think it's really worth investing. Don't, in. don't let the uh, cover of the DVD fool oh, you. It looks hideous. like, it looks, it looks like they're selling gone in 60 seconds, yes. but I can't tell which version they're selling. <laughs> I don't like the most recent one. I like the seventies one, but look, you look at it and you go, what? 
no, this is not right. Yeah, it's it's a really hideous cover. But like, um, but that scene is so hysterical. And then mm -hmm. when they're in the car and they're trying to make out with the guys while they're driving, because they're purposely trying to get them to wreck the car because they're trying to destroy any chance JJ has of winning the contest. And it's just, it's funny. It's just they go on, you know, like um, the car goes crazy and like, I'm not explaining it very well, but you know, like that scene is she, so she, good. Yeah. But the fact that they can't recognize Anne-Marie in yes. the Mohawk is just really funny. She, she mostly has the same accent. Yes. You know, it's like there's only one Southern gal in the area, folks, you know. She melts for Bo. He should just really uh, date her. I don't understand why. He should, why not? She's she's gorgeous. She's beautiful, I, you know, yeah. yeah. And, I don't, and she loves him. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand why they couldn't have been a couple. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah. I, I, I'm hoping that, that maybe now he'll find uh, he'll find her and they can well, she can marry her and they can enjoy all the, um, what the hell is the name of the family? Middleton Millions. Yeah. Well, now that he's been knocked down a couple notches, mm -hmm. and I guarantee you that of all the people there that walked away, Anne-Marie stuck around. Yes. For yes. him. Yes. And he still has $25 million, guys. Yes, please. No, I'd stay with him. I wouldn't yeah, go with Jay. I'm not breaking, up with, I'm not breaking up with no Anthony way. Edwards. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Please. You saw that ass in those boxers. <laughs> That's right. He's got everything. What is it? If you have, unless you have $25 million in a case of Brute, you don't have a chance. That's what Otto said to JJ. It's so funny. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there are, there are, there are actually quite a few funny lines of this i only wrote down a few but yeah there are some lovely lines. yeah it's a yeah. goofy movie but it's a real treat and it's one of those movies i guarantee like if you're having a bad day it's like a comfortable blanket you can put on you because you'll recognize every actor in the film especially if yes. you grew up in the 80s because the 80s really reflected back on the 50s hardcore so all those shows like father knows best leave it to beaver um dobie gillis all those shows were very much still in the zeitgeist yes. David Nelson is the only one that you might look at for a second because I, I didn't see much Ozzy and Harriet at that yeah, time. Yeah, I didn't either. I knew time. who his brother was, obviously, because he was still of famous course, in yeah. the 80s. Yeah. But yeah, David Nelson was more of an, uh, an unknown to me. He was an enigma. Yeah, yeah he's still death. an what enigma. Yes. Um, a wonderful, handsome David Nelson. But um, So I don't know if I ever told you, but I went to a taping of Circus of the Stars when I was 11. My cousin took me because Ricky Schroeder was going to be there. I, I'm in. But they shoot those, they sh they don't shoot it all at once. They shoot it over days. So you go and you watch like a couple segments and it takes forever. So you ended up seeing, you end up seeing the Bob Denver. Yeah. Segment. I didn't end up with seeing the Ricky Schroeder. Oh, I'm sorry. I was really upset because I wore my, my favorite, like, I don't know. They were like knickers. They were velvet and they were like really nice. great. And I had this like silky top that I wore with like this, uh, velvety vest. And I thought I was like the most beautiful thing in that. I was like 11. Right. And I thought I was super hip. And every, I remember going to Circus Circus in that outfit and being like, oh, yeah. <laughs> guys, I'm here, guys. I'm here. Stand back. <laughs> so, anyway. I love it. As we learn about Amanda, so we learn about ourselves. <laughs> I was embarrassed even telling that story because I have very little self-esteem. But when I was 11, I had a chip <laughs> on my fucking shoulder and I was ready. So, I... <laughs> The swear it ain't stopping, folks. It's so, going on till the end. So I remember going to Circus Circus and thinking I was a badass at 11. But anyway, so my cousin took me to go see. But anyway, my cousin took me to go see the Circus of the Stars. And David Nelson spun plates on, like, sticks. Whoa. And I was there for that. Whoa. Wow. That's fantastic. So I've been in the same room with the guy who directed House of Death. Bitches. Bow to, <laughs> bow to your queen.
I, I never went to Circus of the Stars, but once when a clown tried to pull me on into the rings, <laughs> I screamed and, and ran away. Yeah, I would too. I don't like clowns at my, all. Yeah, my, my dad, who was a, a very sort of butch firefighter, um, got mad at me. Dan, oh, it's okay. The clown, I, I, you got scared of the clown. I said, "Did you see him? He was trying to, he was trying to kidnap me." I'm no, okay with it. I understand, Dan. <laughs> but I did get to see David Nelson in person. I just didn't know who he was at the time. And somebody else was there. I saw two shows, and it was probably CJ from Matt Houston. Okay, but maybe not. I don't remember to be honest. But I feel like it was a dark-haired, really beautiful actress. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think yeah, the one, the one actor like david nelson would have been the one that i might have looked at and gone hmm i'm not sure on that one because i didn't discover i discovered uh uh and harriet through uh old time radio stuff hmm. like 15 years or so ago i don't and think so I, I i still don't think i've actually really seen ozzy and harriet to be honest with you i just know who they are i think it, it i like it because it's 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 um it 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 is very specifically like almost not not as funny as a Seinfeld but the shows are very much like uh there's an episode where Ozzy decides one night after dinner he gets a taste for tutti frutti ice cream Mm. and so they all go out looking for tutti frutti ice cream and those are the episodes you know it's just these very sort of uh banal 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 um uh uh sort of uh setups that are quite I've seen maybe a dozen episodes and heard quite a few and I find them quite charming uh, but I know them more from their voices. Do you remember do. when Wally Cleaver got a job at the as like a soda jerk or whatever? And oh, of course. And yeah. they pulled a prank on him. You know, um, Eddie was like, "Deliver this ice cream, Eddie, you mother." But Ugh, then I'm not going to do it. Then the ice cream like melted, and I think he had to. And they're like, "We don't want it. It's melted." And then he had to return it. But then the soda jerk manager guy was like, "You have to take the ice cream home." And then he had to take it home. And then he was really upset. And then he went back to Eddie Haskell and he dumped the ice cream on his head. And when he dumped the ice cream on his head, he had these really beautiful biceps. Do you remember I that episode? Notice, I, do, I, 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 I forgot. You know what? I remember 99% of what you just said. I don't know what's wrong with me because I'm not drunk. <laughs> well, no, I, um, neither am I. Um, uh, it, it was funny. I used to... Um, uh, and I, I never realized this before, but I used to um, do transcription. And the guy I did transcription for was a big Leave It to Beaver fan. And I was talking, I was mentioning Happy Days and said, I think Joni was my a, like a first crush of mine when I was six or seven. And he said, oh, yeah, Wally was my first crush. And I was <laughs> like, course. really? And said, oh, yes. And I was really, and I never thought of that before. Wally was Wally, everyone's first crush. Uh, and did 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 I mention this earlier? I forget. I put I wrote a note about it, but I forget to mention that the nineteen and this is these are tangents, folks. But we'll stop uh, in a moment. The nineteen ninety six Doctor Who TV movie has visual effects by Tony Dow. He he worked in visual wow, effects. Wow, really? So I was sitting there in nineteen ninety six, first new episode of Doctor Who in seven years. Watching the credits, visual effects, Tony Dow, and the credit kind of like flies over you. And I turned to the people I was watching it with and I said, is that Wally? And they were like, I don't know. <laughs> is Wally going to do the effects for the movie we're about to watch? Yes, he did. So Yay. Wally, Wally does well, everything. He's an artist. I don't know if you've ever, you could Google Tony Dow and you'll go to, he has a website for his artwork. He does sculptures and they're oh, wow. amazing. He's an amazing artist. Well, it's funny, you know, as much as I love Jerry Mathers, I feel like Tony Dow might be the breakout um, everything. 
everything. From, everything. Yes. So when he's dumping the ice cream on Eddie Haskell's head, he looks beautiful. Of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, you, and, and you want him to, you know, you don't... Eddie... Eddie, you know, do you remember that there's that SCTV episode where John Candy played the beaver? And and and, and it ends with um, uh, the beaver going on a rampage and shooting Eddie Haskell. And that's that's sort of Wally shouldn't have done that. But maybe the beef should. have. You know, it's interesting. um, And we'll probably we should do something on reunion movies because that's something I'm really into. But the, the beaver reunion movie is really good. But it's interesting to look at where. Uh, Wally ended up as compared to uh, the Beaver, and um, it's kind of interesting. I don't want to go too much into it because now I feel like I want to talk about that at some point because it's it's. I <laughs> yeah. really like reunion movies. We should we should do a like a Return of Mayberry. Um, oh, uh, so good! Return of yeah. Mayberry is excellent. Um, and then we could do Return of Green Acres and annoy the crap out of me for about. Yeah, an maybe hour. I'll do. Well, no, I want to put in still the Beaver if we're going to talk about it because. Okay. But right. you know what? Return of Mayberry is so good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Um, it's like they knew exactly what to do to placate the audience. Like they didn't try to like go too out of left field because you know sometimes they do reunions and it's like they that's, just they go off the map and it's like what turn to green acres yeah yeah what yeah. do they do you know so interesting so i just met um willie ames what where what how at when? texas frightmare get out of, get and, out of here i didn't know that and uh he was very nice and um we were talking about it is enough and i was telling him I, well i wasn't telling him we were talking about the reunion movies and i said i don't want you to take this the wrong way but tommy became such an asshole in the reunion <laughs> movies and he said yes he did and we actually talked about like how the characters transformed and um and not for a long time just very briefly but about how like Joni became the actrice and um nancy ended up who was the model ended up marrying a farmer do you remember that and we were just sort of talking about how the characters it was actually like a really um interesting transformation and it was natural uh-huh. and tommy and we were talking about how tommy's character had had some like bumps in the road and so it seemed actually okay that he became an asshole mm. You know, it made sense for the character. And um, and it was kind of fun to talk to him about that. But I forgot to ask him about working with Robert Mandan and Zapped. And I'm kicking myself because I'm <laughs> never going to meet anybody else who knows Robert Mandan. You know what I mean? And I feel yes, really yeah. like what a missed opportunity that was for me. But anyway, he was really nice. And we actually talked about the reunion movies because uh-huh. um, they made a couple of them because they were really popular. Did I, I read somewhere – wait a minute. It was in your book, wasn't it? The that, reunion movies, I wrote about them. About Return of Mayberry when yeah. Andy Griffith took the script aside and said, no, not yeah. the script. And he got other people. He, okay, that's funny. I'm referencing the <laughs> Made for TV Mayhem book in the Made for TV Mayhem show. Yeah, regards, see? Yeah, well, it's, it's true. He was very specific. So Andy Griffith, you know, he really liked going against character in a lot of his TV. And we'll do an Andy Griffith episode. We have to. Oh, we have point. to do the one with the, 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 the winter killing one. Oh, that God, one? that's so good. Yeah, winter kill, I think is what it's called. Winter um, kill. All right, we got it. Yeah. But he, he well, that's probably my favorite, actually, of all of the, even though... So good. It's so eerie. He wow. made so yeah. many good movies, though. But like, he was very specific when he made his TV movies to be played characters characters that went against type. But when he did the reunion movie, he understood where his where that audience was, and he was very specific about where he wanted the characters to go and what he wanted out of the film. And what he made was a really wonderful film that does nothing really that different than if they'd made the movie twenty years prior. 
when the mm -hmm. show went off the air and it was it's so warm and wonderful it's it's so good it's so good i can't even like i can't recommend return to mayberry enough and that movie was a knockout and it came out the year that perry mason returns came out and they were the top two highest oh, yes. rated yeah. tv movies of that season because people were really into like looking backwards it was the 80s we were really into yeah. um yeah. retrospecting things and um the perry mason reunion movie is also really good um, because they really concentrated not just on Perry, but also on Della Street. And um, and they understood their audience uh, as well. But the Return to Mayberry, um, ugh, it's just so good. I just, I'm sorry. It's not like it does anything different. It's not, there's nothing edgy. It's, it's, or, it, you it, know? Shouldn't, it's, it should just up, it should just update the characters, yes. tell a little fun story. And you're like, like the, like the Get Smart uh, one from 87 or 88. You know, I don't it's think a, I've seen that. Oh, it's so much fun. It's it's basically it's a standard get smart episode. It just happens to be ninety minutes long and it brings everyone back and they go through all their paces and it's all updated for the eighties, but it's 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 fun. I love the nude bomb too, but yeah. this 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 is this is a fun one. It's like very Brady Christmas, the Get Smart, yes. the Bee, and Return of Mayberry are probably my favorites. If I could pick a least favorite Oh, it'd probably be my favorite show of all time. Oh, the Green Acres. Who, Columbo, Green Acres. Which, uh, that, 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 sorry, everyone, that reunion movie bothered me five minutes into it. I've never got more than a half hour in. I've owned a copy for 30 years. I've never watched more than a half hour. I, I would, I would say Murder in Peyton Place. And it's not even like I know Peyton oh, Place that well. Oh, interesting. Wow. Yeah. I don't actually know Peyton okay. Place that well, but I saw Murder in Peyton uh -huh. Place because I have a copy of it. And uh -huh. it's all over the map and Christopher Conley. So it was a real tough, uh, oh, we're going off on another tangent. I'll try to make this quick because we're going to do a reunion show. Christopher Conley was very upset because Mia Farrow and, um, oh my God, what's his name? Ryan O'Neill had come, was that his name? Ryan O'Neill. They had come from Peyton place and then they went off to become really famous. And when they did, and so 10 years later, they're doing a reunion movie. And the only actors who came back were the actors who weren't really working as much. And Christopher Conley was one of them. And so he felt like it was taking a step backwards. And the script is haywire. Like, it's haywire. And so what they did was, I think that the people who made it thought they were being clever because what they did was they killed off Mia Farrow and Ryan O'Neill at the beginning. And I think it was supposed to be sort of like, a, oh, you guys went off and got famous. Now we're just going to kill uh, you. You know what I mean? And yeah. it, it's, it's not, it's watchable. Sort of, mostly for Stella Stevens because her wardrobe is off the charts, amazing. But um, but it's not a very good film, and I say that not knowing Peyton Place that well, so I could be misspeaking. Maybe it is in line with Peyton Place, but I felt like I felt like I don't feel like the actors didn't want to be there, but I feel like they didn't have a very good script, and I feel like some of them felt like they were sort of slumming it. And mm. I, you know, I don't feel like any TV movie is slumming it, but I get when you've walked away from something and a decade passes, and then yeah. your only work is reuniting with that. That's tough, and I think that's palpable when you're watching it. I, I I think, and and we'll stop talking about reunion movies, folks, in a second. But I I think it's like with 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 the Get Smart and with uh, the Mayberry, it is the old writers more or less sort of coming back, the people who knew what the right. show was. Um, but like Green Acres was just two jackasses who apparently had never seen the show before. And I'm wondering if Peyton Place was like yeah. that too, sort of possibly someone who'd never uh, seen it before coming back and trying to replicate it. And just like Green Acres is a very tough show to get right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I always feel like during the show itself, 
there are so many episodes that you well not so many they're probably like 20 or so that you watch and go wow they got it wrong it, it's not that show right. and the, the movie is like that but I wonder if the Peyton place is like, I mean it's an interesting concept to return with a murder yeah I, I like that concept but I can see someone just getting it well wrong. it's 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 not that it's about the murder though because it ends up being oh, about oh. like how they're doing something with the land it goes off into all these different tangents and probably because I don't know the show that well it was confusing but it was also like it just felt like nobody was really into it and it was oh, just wow. there okay. it just uh -huh. feels like it's there and also I thought even though I kind of like it I think maybe the Gidget reunion um, it's not bad but it's like no there's really none of the original actors uh -huh. So they're just kind of like throwing in these new actors into these old characters and it doesn't necessarily fit right, but it's watchable, you sure. know, I, I don't mind it, but I don't know that it was necessarily necessary. It was mm. necessarily necessary, necessary. <laughs> to do that, but I feel like we're coming full circle because um, we got to yeah. close this out so we can get to Poison Ivy. Yes, but, yes. And but, but this was a reunion. I'm, I just suddenly sat up. Mm, here we go. Mm, well, this yes. is a reunion movie. Of sorts in that they're reuniting. It's like back to the beach almost. Yeah, kind of. they're taking all these actors from shows. They're not just picking one actor from Leave it to Beaver. They took three actors, right? Mm -hmm. And then they've got the Dobie Gillis and the Gilligan's Island sort of sandwich there happening with Bob Denver. And it's like, it's like they're in a way, even though a lot of those actors don't share the same scene, they're reuniting them in a way that makes it interesting to the audience who grew up with them and to the audience that was growing up with them at the time. Because uh, 50s and 60s television was huge in the 80s. I think that's important to remember. So yes. it wasn't just a whim that these actors ended up on the show. It was that they were still really prominent in our minds. Yeah. Um, particularly for me, Leave it to Beaver, because it, it was rerunning at the time on our local channel. And my father, it was his favorite show growing up. So I watched every episode with him. So like to me, Tony Dow was just very much like an everyday occurrence for me. So, and no, I mean, like in a very well, platonic, non-sexual way. I was going to say, Eve e Plum ha happened that way for me. Eve Plum happened platonic, that way for so right? many boys. Let me tell you, because <laughs> uh, she became a very beautiful girl while that show she uh, did. Yeah. She, did. <laughs> she doesn't get the credit for how beautiful she was because Marsha just happened to be slightly more beautiful. But um, she um, was... Not in, not in season five. I still I stand by it. I don't know. But I, I think they were both really beautiful girls. But, like, um, she really grew into something. She, uh, Marsha was always beautiful. But mm -hmm. Jan started as kind of, like, a very cute kid. But she really blossomed into a beautiful woman as the show went on. Um, but what I mean is that, like... You know, seeing anybody from Leave it to Beaver in this movie, I just saw them earlier that day or the day before because I was watching, oh, sure. you know what I mean? So so it was very comfortable and they were bringing actors that we were all still in love with. So in a way, this is kind of a really meta reunion film for several shows, mm -hmm. including the shows that were currently on the air or had just gone off the air, like um, Different Strokes and yeah. Happy Days. I think diff Different Strokes, yeah, yeah, they... they... Yeah, it, yeah, it's funny. Like Casey and and Jenny were gone, but the show was still on. Right. And I think Different Strokes still had a couple seasons. I think. Yeah, but there was, it's almost like a weird reunion of them in a way. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's a really, I guess, if we had approached it that way, we could have had a different conversation about the the movie. Um, because maybe not as frenetic. Now we've calmed down. Now we feel like we can talk about it. So we're an hour into it. Let's talk about the movie. But um, I don't, we're already an hour and a half in. So let me just do I, the background and then let's get to Poison Ivy because yes, uh, we'll be going forever on this. Okay, so High School USA um, aired on NBC um, on October 16th, 1983. It ran against um, 
uh, on CBS something called Saturday's the Place, which was oh a cartoon preview special hosted by Joyce DeWitt with Ted Knight, which was oh, wow. the best thing ever. Um, and also so an animated special called the Bugs Bunny Mystery Special, and the oh. TV movie Threesome, which I've always wanted to see with Deborah Raff and Joel Higgins and Stephen Collins. Um, on ABC, it ran against Benson and Webster. So there's your Emmanuel Lewis uh, reference. Yes. And Hawaiian Heat, which was a very short-lived show about two Chicago cops who relocated to Hawaii. So hmm. um, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Nancy McKeon met Michael J. Fox on this film. So I guess they hadn't been dating yet. It had a rating of 18.9 slash 29, which means that 18.9 million homes that had televisions were watching High School USA the night it aired, which represents 29% of the television viewing audience, which isn't bad. It came in at number 70 out of 236 television films to air that season. It did well enough to get an episode shot for a proposed series. Oh, um, yes. That aired in 1984. So th- this reminds me. I met Crispin Glover a couple years ago. He came to town mm-hmm. and he did that What Is It thing screening he does. And he did like a slideshow, which was amazing. And um, his movie was crazy. I'm not sure how I feel about it. And afterwards, he always does like a meet and greet. And um, a very nice guy. Uh, so I brought my copy of High School USA for him to sign. Half expecting him to just look at it and wonder why the hell I was there. Mm-hmm. And um, he was very cool about it. And he said he really liked making the movie and he thought it was a good film. And That's I cool. asked him about the other High School USA, and he said it was shit. Yes, can I, I? I might have a story about High School USA if you don't. If if, if yeah, you that's know. all I have about that episode. Oh oh um. Well, I I have will say though, thing. Chris. Wait, real quick. Chris Glover was super dreamy in person. Of course, of course, I he mean, was. Have you seen the Beaver trilogy? No, is that the one where he's singing? Uh, he's doing an Where's ABBA. Sean Penn? Or is it Olivia Newton-John? I'm sorry, Olivia is Sean Newton-John. Penn in that? Yes. Yeah, I haven't it's, seen it, but I've seen that clip. It's three. Yeah, it's three segments. It's very good. I'm not going to go into it here because we've been talking forever about High School USA. But the other, the story I have about High School USA, which I heard in an interview and I was able to verify online, is that when they were going to shoot this one-hour pilot, that was when Joel Hodgson of oh, Mystery Oh, I Science, saw that on IMDb. Yeah. Yes, yes. I, I heard him say this on an interview that this is when he was in Hollywood and appearing on like the Tonight Show and like becoming like a rising star, and they sent him the script for the High School USA pilot episode, the hour-long episode, and he sent it back saying no, thank you, and they said why? He said I don't think it's very good. And they thought that was a bargaining tool. So they offered him like twice the amount of money to come and do it. And that's what actually sent him back to Minnesota because he was like, oh, this place is terrible. He left Hollywood, went back to Minnesota. I think he worked in like a T-shirt factory or something for like two or three years and then started Mystery Science Theater, which just had its new season on Netflix. So there you go. So uh, the awful High School USA script in some way um, (laughs) – uh, uh, sprouted Mystery Science Theater. Yay! Go. Good for Yay. Shady Scripts! Yay! Yeah, thank you, Shady Scripts! So, Michael J. Fox found the film appealing because his character was so removed from the Alex P. Keaton that we'd all come to associate him with. Of course, uh, this was the first pairing of Michael J. Fox with Crispin Glover, uh, who would appear again in a couple years later in Back to the Future. And then I wrote in parentheses, Crispin is everything. <laughs> is there an exclamation point there? No, but they're all, it's in all caps. Uh, are there little are there little hearts and curly cues? There aren't because I did it on my word. 
Oh, gosh. Okay, but I should yeah. add little hearts. Um, Dwayne Hickman from Dobie Gillis was actually an executive at CBS when he was cast in the film. Oh, wow. Which is interesting. I just found that out. Okay. Uh, director Rod Amatu, uh, am I saying that right? Amatu, had Amateur, directed uh, Hickman years earlier on the Bob Cummings show. Um, oh, wow. That's a fun show. That's Paul Paul Henning from that's Beverly Hillbillies. Is Richard Crennan in that? Or am I thinking of, I'm mixing up, what is Richard Crennan on? Um, Richard Crane is on a bunch of stuff. I'd have to look that up. You keep talking. Let me okay. look that up. Uh, it was an old black and white show. They played it on local channels here. Uh, Rod was kind of a pro at teen-centric B-flicks. He had also directed Love Lines, which was a great movie from like the late 80s with Michael Winslow. Oh, who was the guy in it? Was it the guy from Rich Girl? I can't remember. And uh, he also did a movie called Drive In. Of course, he directed Seniors, which is a really, really fun teen sex comedy. And then he did something called Highway Honeys, which I put on this list even though it was actually just a comedy pilot with uh, Kirstie Alley. Um, screenwriters Larry Mintz and Alan Eisenstock had worked together often and were producers on Sanford and Son, What's Happening, and then later Married with Children. And this was the first of three movies that the late composer Miles Goodman. Oh, I'm just I just copied this off IMDb. It's such a cheesy. Uh, anyway, he did three Michael J. Fox movies. Uh, the scores for them, including this film, Poison Ivy, and Teen Wolf. And that is it for my trivia. Hooray! He he was on Real McCoys. I'm looking to see what no, else he was on. No, something like he had a funny voice. It came from a radio show. Oh, it's a radio show. Wow. Yeah, it was originally okay. a radio show, and he and he's he and was he, on Gildersleeve. Maybe that's it. He was it. on Burns and Allen, My Favorite Husband, Date with Judy. I know all of those. I don't shows. know. I don't know, baby. Yeah. I just called huh. you baby. I don't know. Why I did that. I don't know, baby. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. We're we're very relaxed, folks. It's, 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 it's summer. This is this is the time when this happens. We get very confrontational during the holidays. Yeah, I think we better get to. Uh, Let's get to poison ivy. Mean, let's play the promo. Are you ready for summer camp? Welcome to Pinewood. Your days will be filled with water sports, nature appreciation, the great outdoors. The parents dream. And it's your chance to discover... Who is that? The camp that separates the men from the boys. This will be the most memorable, rewarding summer of our lives. Robert Klein's in charge. So Michael J. Fox and Nancy McKeon are in Poison Ivy, next on Channel 7. All right, it's summer camp. And we are going to... Well, Robert Klein runs the summer camp, and I'm actually looking to see what the name of the summer camp is. Do you remember off the top of your oh, head? Oh, you know what? I think I wrote it down in the Pine trivia. Pinewood. Pinewood. Pinewood, yeah. It's Pinewood. Sorry, folks. I got notes. We got notes. There were so many notes for these movies because there are so many things going on. But it's it. The movie begin. Actually, the movie begins with a sort of montage where you don't see the kids a kid's face as a mom is yelling pack up for camp and you see a kid like okay mom and he he like tries to put a tv in a bag and he he tries to put his um his dog in a bag and stuff like that and he goes uh, we don't learn who that kid is later on he probably gets killed no i'm kidding that doesn't happen in this movie but we we go to um a train and we see a whole ton of kids and they're all getting loaded in and there's a character there named ike and ike is the head counselor and ike is what we call in the trade Ah, douche nozzle. Does that work? Yeah. Ike's, Ike's yes. kind of a douche. And we have, we meet Dennis Baxter, played by, this This is different from the guy in High School USA, Michael J. Fox? That's I, right. Totally I don't know different. Who, I don't know who that is. But, 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 um, uh, Dennis is... He, he's not he's not quite like JJ where JJ was like Marty Fly. Dennis is a bit more of a wise ass and a smart ass kind of guy and a player 
and a play. He's a super player. He starts off the first time you see him. He's like talking with this young blonde woman, and they're um, kind of saying goodbye to one another. And um, Ike wants uh, Dennis to get to work, and uh, eventually Dennis does. And Dennis has like a piece of rope, and at the end of the other end of the rope is a kid oh, named Timmy. Timmy, Timmy Mizzy. And Timmy wants to go home. He doesn't want to be there. And people are throwing water balloons down on them from up top in the, in the train station. And and Dennis goes up there and finds the kids and throws a balloon on Ike's head and brings the kids back down. And we meet a bunch of kids. Um, uh, what is it? Good uh, luck. Yeah, I can't remember all their names. There's Brian, Timmy, Toby, and Bobby. Bobby. Uh, Bobby is kind of the sort of the straightforward kid who t- is that doesn't. The jock? Do- yeah, Bobby is the one who okay. plays is good at baseball. There's uh, Toby, who's kind of a fat kid whose parents give him a cake, and Toby wants to be a comedian, and he lists what are his. He, it's it's Jackie Gleason, uh, and several other comedians that you would hear today and go. No one that age is going to know who Jackie Gleason is. But it Laurel was the and 80s. Hardy. It was yes. the 80s. It was, and as we said earlier, it's like during the 80s. That's uh, this is for another show. We're going to get into that in another show, folks. <laughs> but but so like Jackie Gleason, and he wants is, to be the comedian. Is Bobby oh. the kid with the glasses? Oh, I think we might be letting the side down. That what I forget which kid. There's a kid who has glasses, and there's a kid who is the jock kid. Yeah, I can't remember their names, but the kid with the glasses is the cutest kid I've ever seen on the, this planet. Okay, so we'll call him Bobby, and we'll say Timmy is the one. Doesn't Timmy? No, sound Timmy is the one. Timmy's the one that's running away. Timmy is the one that's running away. <laughs> Wait a minute, is Brian? Could it be Brian? Who's the? Ah, oh, crap! I, you know, so... I knew their names when I was watching it, and I was like concentrating on it, but I, I can't. The. The, the thing with this movie, folks, is that there are only about three or four people I recognize, whereas in the previous movie, I recognize everyone, so I can look at the cast list and tell you. We didn't write down all the names, because the the big ones are Timmy, who keeps trying to run away and can't swim, that's important, and Jerry. Yeah. Jerry's brother was there last year and was the super jock. This Jerry is not the super jock. This does he go the... by Jerry or does he go by Disbro? Wow, I uh, I don't remember what he goes by. Because his last this, name, his last Disbro. name seems yeah. familiar to me. Yeah, I, I it's it's Jerry Disbro is his name, and when we first see him, he's kind of macking on a gal. He's like eleven, oh. she's eleven, and there's this weird moment where he says something to her, and she mentions her boobs, um, which if I were eleven would have been the funniest thing ever. Um, yeah, but there's as, a real as, controversial. As a 40- scene in this not to jump ahead not to cut you off but they're looking through a peephole at the girl shower and one of them says to the i can't remember which two boys it is but he says oh we should go now there's only six-year-olds in there and then the other kid says there's something wrong with that and i felt so creepy yeah because they're like 12 years old yeah they're like like i think at one point they say one of them's 11 so i thought there's like 11 or 12 year olds looking at the six-year-olds and i'm like i i i'm i'm that sentence is not going to get finished here today. So, um, uh, so, so, um, they, they get them all on board the thing and Jerry turns out to be a super like con man and we can go into what he cons them on. He pretends he has the mumps so he can get his own birth because he told this gal that he would have his own room That's and, right. and, 
it's yeah we can talk about my problems with jerry later but the the we arrive at the camp and the camp is kind of it's as we discussed previously it's sort of meatballs-esque but it's meatballs um where um anything sort of naughty that happens seems to happen accidentally they're all they all sort of assemble there and they meet we meet big irv i have something very important to say to all of you all right as head counselor here at Camp Pinewood, it is my privilege to introduce to you campers our camp director, Irwin Bigger Clopper. Tell Walter to fix that thing. Roger. Walter! Good morning, campers. Welcome to Pinewood. This will be the most important summer of your lives. Your parents have entrusted you to me and my staff to mold and shape you into the kind of young men they'll be proud to call their sons. In the bunks and the playing fields on the lake, you will learn the code of good conduct, the thirst for excellence, the drive for achievement that will serve and guide you for the rest of your days. As always, each camper, from the smallest shrub to the tallest sequoia, will get a chance to show just how much of the Pinewood spirit he's absorbed and just how successful he will be in later life by his performance in our annual color war, the glorious culmination of your eight weeks here at Pinewood. Does he see this bull every year? Big Irv is played by Robert Klein. I love Robert Klein. At the start of his performance as Big Irv, I thought, who are you pitching this performance to, Big Irv? It, it was really over the top and like, welcome to the camp. And and he has a wife who's really, she's 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 hot enough. Um, oh, Karen Kay? She's the best. Okay, okay. Speaking of my tutor, she started my tutor. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, she was... I don't know if it's... It's this. It's the strange way I received this movie where it was like even the woman I thought was supposed to be real hot, I looked at her and was kind of like, eh. Uh, but she's like looking at all the guys and like, hey, how you doing? And and Big Irv is like, all right, we're going to have camp and it's going to be great. And in a few weeks, we're going to have color wars. And your first thought is, oh my God, this is the 60s all over again. This is going to be horrible. This is a different kind of color wars. This is about, like, the Civil War. Actually, now it became closer to the 60s than I said earlier. <laughs> but we'll get into that in, a, in about a minute and a half. Give me a minute and a half to get there. But the color wars is their big sort of, like, race for your life, Charlie Brown kind of thing that where they all get together and um, the, 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 the camp is divided into two and they go up against one another um, in competition. Uh, and then, suddenly, Rhonda shows up. Rhonda is played by Nancy McKeon. She's the new assistant nurse on the, on the, well, she's the only nurse where we see one nurse for a second in that scene, but then she's That's the only right. nurse we see for the rest of the movie. And instantly Dennis is like, Oh, Hey, how you doing? You're going to be here the whole time. Hey, how you doing? Hey, didn't we go out like two years ago? Kind of thing. And, and, but Rhonda almost immediately says, and you notice the one thing about this... Uh, no, I won't say that. I, I had something to say that was slightly negative, but I'm going to take it back. Dennis is constantly going after Rhonda throughout the movie like, hey, how about you and me? How about you and me? And Rhonda says, no, 
I'm engaged to a wealthy gentleman who's going to become a doctor, which actually has some tie-in with uh, High School USA, except Dennis isn't the charming rogue of High School USA. Dennis is more of like a naughty, wise-ass kind of Yeah, guy. he's a little more dangerous, I think. Yes, yes, and I know you, you prefer that kind of thing. I didn't like this character <laughs> as much, to be honest. What? Well, well, what does that what, mean? What, what, don't you prefer your rogues to be a little more dangerous? Depends, I guess. Hmm, we'll find, we'll find out when I'm done with this. Um, very confusing. I mean, would I date, date JJ or would I date Dennis Baxter? Yeah. I would date JJ. Huh. Interesting. Okay, folks. I don't know. Well, because I get... he knows Crispin Glover. Oh, that's true. Okay. Okay. So uh, the movie goes along and it's it's just a series of vignettes where you get um, uh, Jerry is sort of like he's a conniver when they're, they play baseball and they, they play baseball with all these other camps. And there's the one character who we don't know the name of, either Bobby or, or, or um, uh, Brian, maybe Bobby or Brian. Um, he's a really good baseball player. So um, when Big Irv and Ike come up to them and say, we want you, good baseball player, to play on the varsity team, Jerry suddenly puts on a beret and says, I'm his agent. You know, and okay. he's like, do, he's doing all the Bill Murray kind of stuff in here. Like he's, um, everyone has to write letters home every week. But there is a, oh my gosh, wait a minute. Which one was the, was Brian the smart one? I'm sorry, everyone. I didn't take down all these. You mean names. the one writing poetry? Yes. Yeah, I don't know what his name is. I can't, I think it was Brian. Brian is the super smart one who spends all his time writing. He mentions Proust, and and he's yes, always he writing. And he he and Jerry get together and they create a little um, thing to write all the letters home for everybody because there are things called px tickets px tickets can basically get you candy and things like that and for your px px tickets jerry well jerry will uh, sort of get brian to write you your letters home so you don't have to and brian is writing these gorgeous flowery poetic letters and and they're just it's so jerry's doing that and he's he's being the agent over here at the same time you get the timmy character and the timmy character keeps running away and they keep after bringing him back and he keeps running away and he doesn't want to swim and that's making some of the other boys laugh at him and he wants to try to learn how to swim because it will be helpful when color wars start up and yeah there's this other kid who's who's playing baseball and dennis is trying to woo Rhonda, but Rhonda won't um, Rondo just won't just won't sort of pull the trigger. There's a great moment where Dennis has talked to Rondo for like the eighth time, and she ends the conversation with, "I'm engaged," and she walks away. And Dennis yells the line, "Okay, well, what is it? Um, don't do something I would do, or something like that." I, I forget exactly what the line is, but it's, <laughs> it's really capturing this film. It's oh yeah, it's don't no, it's um don't do anything I want to do. Uh, which which I think is uh, a little bit. okay. He, she's ooh, like okay. okay okay no 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 yeah I picked Dennis. He's like okay okay well don't do anything I want to do which is a really lovely line and we we get parents weekend where the parents show up and and the fat kid does a stand up routine that no one seems to care about. <laughs> and now I'd like to introduce Pinewood's own dessert king, Mr. Toby Kaplan. Let's hear it for Toby. Come on, up there, boy. <laughs> Tonight. 
Peter tried it Thursday when it was cooked. <laughs> Thursday! <laughs> and we, we meet the fiancé, and he is... He, he's got the, the sweater wrapped around his neck, and he is pompous. And he's one of those characters who, when he meets Dennis, he, he, he um, Dorothy, uh, I'm sorry, Dor- Dorothy, I'm, I'm thinking of Dorothy Malone, because I'm looking at Malone. Rhonda Malone, Rhonda is, is Nancy McKean's character, I'm sorry. There are a lot of names here, folks. I'm trying to keep them all in, in check. Uh, Rhonda says, oh, this is Dennis Baxter. And the guy says, oh, Baxter, how are you? And so he's one of those guys who's so wealthy that if he meets someone who is not on the same social level as him, he will not give him a first name, Uh, which I always find sort of fascinating when you see that pop up in things. And more class issues. Yes, more class issues. And and. Uh, but but uh, we 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 meet um, we meet Timmy's family and Timmy's parents are very sort of embarrassed in Timmy and Timmy finds out about that and 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 Dennis to his credit tries to alleviate that somewhat but the parents are semi douches and, and and Timmy is not doing so great and it's it's. Um, you know, Parents Weekend doesn't help, and we're 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 building towards the big Swim color meat. war. We're, <laughs> yeah, the big yeah, basically the big color war. Now, in here, we also have right before the Parents Weekend, there is a scene which we can discuss across the lake. There's a girls' camp. Of course, there is, and we can just try to discuss what the logistics of this are. But it's uh, Jerry and one of the other guys. I think the um, the the jock guy leap in a canoe, go across the lake, and I can tell you a thing or two about canoes. I don't think Jerry, your first time in a canoe, in the back steering isn't as easy as that, Jerry. But they go to the and they they visit the the side of the lake with the girls' camp. And they meet up with that girl that he saw who mentioned her boobs in the earlier scene. And there's a really weird scene where, uh, I forget her name, um, uh, They don't. he doesn't have her name listed in here. But Irene? Is it Irene? Yes, it is Irene. He meets up with Irene, and Irene is the girl from the opening scene on the train. And suddenly Irene has gone from looking at Jerry like, Jerry you're a douche, to, hi, Jerry, how are you? And it's like, Jerry's got a bag of candy, and he's like, hey, Irene, let's hang out. Get a girl from my friend. Okay, Jerry. But then all of a sudden, they see someone running through the woods, and it is Timmy dressed up as a girl. Oh, that's right. A weird, this is a really weird freaking scene because um, the girl, all the gals and the head counselor are chasing Timmy. And they say, Irene, you go away. And all the three boys are running and running. And they run into Dennis, who's hanging out with that blonde from the opening of the movie. And suddenly all four of the guys are running. They leap into the back of a laundry truck and escape. And there is actually a scene where Timmy ingratiates himself to the boys by not um, uh, snitching on who was there. He actually, it's funny because Dennis stands up and says, I was there. And Irv is like, you were not there. Stop it. Okay, whatever. So we have Parents Weekend, and then we have a sequence where, this is an interesting one, where Timmy wants to learn how to swim because he's going to need to swim, possibly for Color Wars. And they take him to Big Irv's house. And everyone's out. No one's there. Big Irv's not there. His wife's not there. 
and they fill the tub up with water and they just let Timmy float. And he floats and then he does some backstrokes and kind of, kind of calm stuff like that. But then Mrs. Big Irv, which uh, is Margot, comes home with Ike. And Margot is, Margo is kind of trying to get Ike into bed. And all the boys are like hidden under a couch or something watching them. And they learn some information about Ike, which they used to blackmail Ike later on. And Timmy's still in the bathtub swimming. But then uh, uh, Margot says, well, Ike, go take a bath. And it's, it's a... They get out of there. All the boys get out of there. We can talk about how that happens later. But they're able to escape before Margot and Ike catch them. But then the next day is Color Wars. And sort of the boys in the cabin that Dennis is in charge of, some of whom we know their names, some of them we don't, um, they're sort of split in half through the rest of the movie doing this Color War thing. And it kind of becomes that these boys who didn't really like each other at the beginning, who now like each other through competition, have been made to dislike each other again. Oh, so horrible. Yeah, and Jerry does some things, says some things to Timmy that are awful. And it's just, and we we can go into it after, but it's just, it sort of builds to a moment where Timmy is sort of humiliated in a swimming competition due to something Jerry did, and he goes missing. Who's Tough Bright Thompson? Tough Bright Thompson was a summer camp casualty. He was an oak who just started to swim near the end of the summer, not unlike yourself. The first race he was ever in was during Color War. The medley relay. You know, like the one we're doing tomorrow? Yeah. He thought he'd be okay, but the pressure of the race. What happened to him? It's it's too horrible. Tell me. He drowned. That is horrible. A tough break, all right. And I was afraid that because you can swim now, a little... They might try and enter you in the swim meet tomorrow. But I guess that was silly of me. Sorry to bother you, Timmy. Sweet dreams. And so everyone on his cabin goes looking for him, deserting color wars before one of the big competitions. And that's sort of, I'll leave it sort of there We could, because after that, it's kind of the end of the movie. But, but it's sort of like, uh, it, it was like a group of misfit boys who become great friends and then are torn apart by competition, and then reconfigure themselves to save well, one of their friends. And I'll, I'm going to stop there, and we can discuss what we thought of it. I thought the orgy scene was really inappropriate. I thought the orgy scene was based on Fellini's Satyricon, <laughs> and I thought it was completely appropriate. Yeah, I guess in that, if you look at it through that lens, certainly. <laughs> certainly. Oh. <laughs> so I've I saw both of these movies when they originally aired. I've since seen High School USA a few times. Um, I hadn't seen Poison Ivy since I was like I don't know. I guess I would have been fourteen or so when this came out. Were I you remember dressed in your uh, uh, Cirque of the Stars outfit. No, that was three one? years earlier. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I we don't this... know what you were wearing, and then we'll learn later on. In yeah, I th- in in 1985, I had really big hair, the oh, kind that you like hair hairspray sticking up straight. And Here, then kind of curling back. Here, here's the thing, folks. When I talk to Amanda on Skype, she has very regular hair. Yeah. And so I'm looking at this hair. picture, imagining her with. <laughs> I think it, I think you'd be beautiful. No, I was a hideous teenager. I don't have any problems telling you that I was hideous, and I'm like okay PJ with that. Like PJ Souls and Innocent Prey kind of hair. Or? 
It was horrible. I know it was it was really ugly hair. I mean, when you're looking at movie stars' hair, you're looking at hair that's been stylized. Even if it's hideous, there's somebody's taking the time to do something with it. My hair was just ugly. And that's how I went through high school. Oh, and, you haven't seen my mullet. Yeah, no. Yeah, normal people did not have... You look at his bad hair in movies now, was beautiful compared to what real people look like every day. <laughs> yes, Because it was impossible to maintain those kinds of hairstyles. Because they mm-hmm. were like gravity defying, you know what I yes, mean? Yes, yes. And so I had a gravity defying head of hair, and <laughs> I had a very weird look that was somewhere between Robert Smith from The Cure and a go-go. Like <laughs> it didn't make sense. Like none of it made sense because everything was influencing me. Do you know what I mean? And so, but every I every moment movie... intrigues. Yes, I I watched this movie when it originally aired, and I remembered loving it, and I probably loved it because it gave me two hours of not thinking about my hideous hair. <laughs> And my shitty ass uh, fucking wardrobe. And so I got to spend two hours. Although I have to say Nancy McKean's wardrobe in both these films was not good. I did not care for anything that she wore. Although I think in this film she looks better in terms of like the clothes. But um, and Because her she's hair. a nurse throughout most yeah, of Yeah, well, she also wore shorts and stuff. like. More but neutral. some of the oh, stuff yeah. they put her in in the first film was like really dumpy. And I couldn't really figure out what they were doing with her. But in this one, she just kind of looks more normal. It's just ugly 80s clothes. So, I mean, she couldn't avoid it was what Huge I'm Huge collars. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She couldn't avoid it. I So I watched this for the first time in however many years, 22, 32 years this weekend. And I fell asleep. <laughs> and I slept through like 20 minutes of the middle there. Like, I don't even remember Timmy in the dress. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. I do I, now because I, I rewatched it today. But And I should say I'm having a hard time staying awake through most movies, and I don't know why that is, but I've been having a lot of insomnia issues. And so, so like the last two weeks, I've actually been like more than two weeks, actually, last two months maybe. I get up around two or three, and then I, I wander the halls like kind of like a ghost, except we only have like two halls because it's a really small apartment. And <laughs> and I just kind we of We have walk. one hall. We, yeah. we have, we're in a house with one hall. <laughs> I just kind of wander and till I get tired again and then I go back to bed. And so I think when I'm watching movies, I start to relax and then my body thinks it can go to sleep. Yes. Yeah. So I have not actually sat through a full movie in quite some time, except for I just went to the Alamo and they had a marathon and I stayed up through those, but I was in the movie theater. Um, so I, I can't blame my sleeping on the film, but I have to say it's not as good as I remember. It's still a good film. I think it's delightful. It's really fun. I, I like the kids. I think that they're mostly adorable, especially the little boy that's in love with Nancy McKeon that writes the poetry. And, yes, um, he's, he's a charmer. He's such a cutie pie. And and I like the friendships of them, and I like the development of it. But the overall film, it's just not something I would watch over and over again. High School USA, I could see myself watching over and over again. It captures something for me. But sure. um, Poison Ivy doesn't necessarily. That's not to say it's a bad film. I, I enjoy it. Um I I just feel like I don't I don't need to see it over and over again. That's all. I don't know what else to say about it. Uh, um, I I I watch it twice. The second time I watched it, I was when I knew what to expect because I I, I don't know if I've seen this before. I I really don't remember if I've seen this before. Um, the the second time when I watched it, I liked it more than the first time. The first time I had some very choice things to say about it. A couple things which I will say right now, but I'll say them in a much calmer tone. Uh, One, I don't like the character of Jerry. Mm -hmm. 
I think he is presented as he's the Bill Murray character of this movie. He's the Connor. He's the schemer. But if you if like Bill Murray is at like level ten, and then what's Bill Murray's brother in Moving Violations? What's <laughs> oh, his I love name? that guy. I can't remember he's, his name. He's great. But I would say if he's a seven, Jerry is like a two. Jerry. Like when Jerry puts on that beret and he does the agent thing, yeah. that whole scene, I was cringing. When he, they're like the opening sequences with the the opening scene when they introduce him, it's like, oh, you're Jerry Disbro. Your brother was here last last year. He was great. Oh yeah. And I thought, well, surely this character can't be a main character. Yeah, he kind of is. He's kind of along with Timmy. Is it Timmy? Yeah, Timmy I liked very much. Tim, Timmy, Timmy, I didn't like at first, but I liked more as he went along. Um, although, the the way they do it in the end, so here's the spoiler for the end, is that they find Timmy... It's, it's really funny, that, something I forgot to mention, there is a slasher element of a handyman. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask you about Walter. Yeah, Walter, they say, don't call on the handyman, because Walter always carries around the hatchet. With blood stains on it. And that's always the thing through it. Don't call up Walter. At the end of the movie, they find Timmy on the other side of the lake with Walter. But Walter is like Jackson Pollock. He's dipping his hatchet into paint and flinging the paint against canvases. That was the funniest moment of the film for me. And and when the reveal of Walter, Timmy's like, yeah, no, he's a, I forget, he, what, how does he describe him? He's a distracted expressionist. Oh, that's right, that's right. Expansionist, I'm sorry, distracted expansionist. And I was like, that's very funny. Well, and that's the, also well, a meatballs thing, isn't it? Um, yes. In that they tell that story about the guy with the hook. And they're like, he had a hook <laughs> on his foot. And so, <laughs> but like, there's always like a campfire tale. And yes. so, I mean, I think they capture the camping aspect really well. Like, yeah. um, although I, when I went to camp, I don't remember there being competitive games per se, but I do know that you just got split into groups and like there were things that you did that were competition. Like we had talent shows and things like that. Can, and can um, we, at, when we're done discussing the movie, can we just discuss our summer camp experiences real quick? Sure. Because I mean, where else, that where else are we going to, mine aren't that interesting either, but I, I think we should. Okay. Well, but I mean, I I think they captured the camping aspect of it really well. I feel like they did, yeah. Yeah, it felt very authentic, and um, and that part was great. Uh, the romance between Dennis and Rhonda was good. I really liked Karen Kay uh, as Margot, and I liked Ike very much, Mm -hmm. and they were really fun. I didn't so much like Big Irv. I think he was a little too dry. In yeah, it was too. It was annoying, but you could see why Margot was kind of like not wanting to have sex with him. Sure. Um, she was pretty much having sex with everybody, but they only yes. really concentrated on her and Ike. But she, everybody was like bending over backwards for her, and yes, uh, all like the guys that, lighting her cigarettes and like. Yes, that 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 great moment during Parents Weekend where here's your hamburger and it was like filet mignon or yeah. something like that. And, it was like and even shepherd. Walter, remember she said when they were moving Rhonda's luggage from the uh, mess hall. Uh, Irv says, hey, Walter, you need to move that. What do you think? She's going to sleep next to the refrigerator or something like that. And then Walter looks over at Margo and Margo kind of nods and he's like, okay, I'll move it. Mm -hmm. And so like everybody was under her thumb and that was kind of fun Mm -hmm. for me. But the kids themselves, although there were some cute stories like the one with the little geeky kid being in love with Rhonda, was completely adorable. And Timmy was adorable, but it just wasn't as engaging as the adult I, characters, yes. which is interesting because I would argue that High School USA, 
the adult characters weren't as engaging as the teenage characters. Yes. So it's kind of a flip here. Um, although I did like the adults in High School USA. I, I don't want to, I know this movie has a huge cult reputation and most people who saw it loved it. And I loved it when I saw it. And I don't want to talk down about it. I, I can't really criticize it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's not. It's not. It's for for me. I I, I just think that the 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 Jerry character is never likable, and and he he has a moment where he he is really rude to Timmy. Oh, he's such a end. shit to him. He's so he's a sh- super shit. But then he comes back in the end, and it's like, um, oh hey Timmy, I'm sorry, I got caught up in the competition. And then during the but the thing is, the final sequence, which is Timmy swimming across the lake on his own, and really strangely shot scenes where it doesn't look like Timmy's actually moving, but yeah. but apparently he is. Um, and he oh, does that's that because to... the actor died, he drowned, and they needed to finish the film, so they just propped him up. And they I put like, they put a crewman I, underneath him in a scuba mask with some gear, and then I, he just held him up on the water, and they floated him along. I love this movie so much. I take back everything I've said. But but the 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 the, 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 the Timmy swims across the water, and color wars are canceled by Big Irv because color wars are meant to represent the spirit of the camp, and when Timmy, who couldn't swim, swims the lake the entire camp rushes around him and rallies behind him and big irv says this is the spirit of the camp and of course ike is like what the hell and they're like oh i get out of here kind of thing <laughs> it's it's just it's just to me it's 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 a weird sequence because i, I like bits of the movie i think i think it's very summer campy I will give it that. And I don't mean campy like it's camp, like Batman camp. I mean, it's like summer camp. But I also think that the kids aren't as interesting as I thought they would be. Yeah. And I also don't think the, the Michael J. Fox, Nancy McKeon romance is as fun as in High School uh, USA. Yeah, I really liked it because he was a player. And he, he would tell every girl he met, like, he would find out what their degree was going to be in, like, what they were going to college for. And then yeah, he'd be like, I'm majoring in that. Yeah. And she said, have you read that book? I can't remember the full title, but she has the first part of the title. And she says, From Oedipus to the Prom. And she's like, that's <laughs> textbook stuff. And he's like, oh, yeah, I read it. But I read it so long ago. And yeah. she's like, I made that up. And, yeah, um, I feel like that's something you would have done to someone, Amanda, maybe back in your pre-husband I never called days. anybody on their shit. I was just happy that like <laughs> if somebody as cute as Michael J. Fox was talking to me, I was like, whatever you're majoring in, let's go out. Like, I wasn't I, Rhonda. Well, I, I, I think I think this is actually my prejudice for Michael J. Fox because I my favorite Michael J. Fox character is Marty McFly. And and Marty to me is JJ, not this character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This character and, and that's just me. I, I I did not warm to this character and I did I not like fully... him. He's like like you know, there's that scene where he's in the water, it's oh, night, well, and he's when he's to helping help the boys, yeah, 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 yeah. And Nancy McKeon or Rhonda is watching, yes, yeah. And that's such yeah. a sweet scene. And he's like, he's a good guy. He's just a player. That's my impression of Dennis. I mm-hmm. I liked him. I thought he was perfectly adorable. I mean, is it, okay. Here's the thing, though. Michael J. Fox can do no wrong. Michael <laughs> J. Fox has been in my heart for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, when Spin City came on TV, I was so beside myself because the idea of having Michael J. Fox, Fox back on my TV every week was so exciting. And Spin City was a great show. 
I've loved him since the moment I discovered him on Family Ties, like everybody else in America did. And I followed him through his career. And, um, you know, I saw Light of Day, motherfuckers, and I liked wow. it. I liked Yeah, well, it. Springsteen wrote the theme song, <laughs> and so I went to see it because I was, I was a Springsteen Yeah, fan, I liked so, it. Yeah, um, yeah and, me too, me too. I mean, Joan Jett was the standout, but still. And so, like, I don't know that he can do something where I'm not going to like him because – He's acting. He's he's definitely like playing a character, but there's there's something yes. about him that I'm drawn to, and I've always been drawn to, and uh, so I find him incredibly likable in everything, even in movies where he's really aloof. Like uh, you know, like we were talking about the soundtrack to Bright Lights, Big City is fantastic. Crazy, the movie yeah. itself it's not a bad adaptation, better than Lesson Zero, but sure. like that's not necessarily a warm, fuzzy character or anything. No. And there, you know, there's nothing great about the character per se, but but he's so good in it that he makes it better. And so whenever I see Michael J. Fox in anything, I warm to him instantly. I just I can't help it. You know what? You know what? I think I think it is. I think there are. I, I, I'm looking at it now. I, I've got so I've got Poison Ivy playing on TV, and they're bringing Timmy back from a train station where yeah. he escaped to. And he and Nancy, uh, Michael J. Fox and Nancy McKeon are having a conversation in the car. And although Nancy McKeon is giving him a look like I've got a fiance, it's really charming. And yes. I think I think I think I think what it is 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 maybe it's not so much um, him. I, I like him being a little um, wily and 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 um, uh, con con artisty, um, uh, but but he was like that as JJ too. Um, but I, I think what it is is that the entire movie is he and Nancy McKeon should clearly be together, but every single scene is I like you, I like you. What do you want to do? Let's hang out. Okay. Do you want to kiss me? I've got a fiance. I'll leave. And that's every single scene until the final scene. She should have turned to him and said, here we are sharing our deepest thoughts. Oh my gosh. We're strangers. We're strangers and you're a camp counselor and I'm a nurse and we're going (laughs) to learn about one another. But I I realize realize that's what the problem is with this because I love the fact that in High School USA – the moment they meet, it's clear that, boom, the connection is there, and she's willing to take the step, but there's just this click. It's high school. There's this click thing that you can't get over, but here, could it I don't. I I don't know. There, there's uh, maybe it's the way it's just written. What What is Mr. Tramer? Um, what's the gentleman's Bennett name? Better Tramer. Better Tramer. Maybe maybe this isn't working as well, but it's like literally. I mean, every scene is between them is the same thing like right. i just said and it ends with her saying sorry i've got a fiance and he leaves or she leaves and after time it's like you know i i, I like i like his character here i like his chicanery i like throwing balloons on ike's head i like helping t- i like how much he latches onto timmy and wants to help timmy he doesn't actually have to latch on to jerry i don't care about that but um, but but there's just something about the way that's written, and and also, and I, I don't I don't mean to denigrate the actress, but the the blonde who he hangs out with at the train station, oh, yeah yeah yeah, and on the she I when my note here is is she acting, 
because <laughs> during the scene in the train station and the scene where they're on the island, she looks like she's just sitting there, like saying things like off a cue card. Right. And Michael J. Fox seems to be matching her performance. And and it's very like the scene where Ike is saying, come on, we got to get going. And the train station, he's looking at in her eyes. It doesn't look like a romance. It looks like we're waiting for the next thing to happen. And and so it's like, I guess that's why he is, that character kind of confuses me a bit because... I feel like maybe he should have been with Nancy McKean immediately and not gone with the blonde. But I will just say, when they bring Timmy back from the train station in the movie where he runs off, it looks like they're going to kiss. And Timmy says something more or less. He's standing nearby. He says something more or less along the lines of, I'll turn around while you kiss. And he turns That's around. That's right. That was a cute scene. And, and it's like, no, no one's kissing. And she leaves. It's like, no, you should have been kissing. But then the next scene, Nancy McKeon is only wearing a shirt. So I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> I I can enjoy things. Can I? Sure. Am I, am I not well, allowed yeah, to enjoy Yeah, I love things? Nancy McKeon. I mean, she's, she's beautiful. She's, and and that's, that's the thing. I mean, like, anything I say uh, negative against Poison Ivy is only like, I love High School U.S. It's like the difference between... Um, if you've ever seen uh, Tommy Boy, mm-hmm. I haven't. And, but oh, okay. Well, uh, Tommy Boy. I mean, I know where is... you're going. No, 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 no. Let's not go down and... that rabbit hole. Oh, okay, oh, I can stop right there because I just, <laughs> well, you I just had do the comparison, but you don't have to I'll go do the into comparison. the films. I'll do the comparison real quick. It's Tommy Boy and Black Sheep, the ah. two um, uh, Chris Farley, David Spade films. Tommy Boy, which I expected nothing out of, made me laugh hysterically. I bought it on DVD. I bought it on two-disc DVD. I own it on Blu-ray. I started going out with my wife. Uh, I discovered that two of her favorite films of all time, Young Frankenstein and Tommy Boy. So we watched Tommy Boy about twice a year. Black Sheep, I watched the weekend it came out because I was so excited about it. But I felt like they got almost everything that Tommy Boy did right, wrong. And I have not watched it since. And that was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's like when so, I saw Sorority Boys, it was so good that when it came out on DVD, I bought it from my friend and then we watched it a bunch of times. That's I like what it, High School USA is. But then I, think, I can't I think, think of its Amanda equivalent, though. I can't think of it's equivalent. Right now, folks. Um, part, I can't think of its equivalent. I can't <laughs> think of equivalent to Sorority Boys. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Wendy Joe Sperber's in it. Oh, wow. She's also in stewardess school. But Can get it? Because it's bosom buddies. They're dressing up like women. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Super meta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's not, um, uh, yeah, that'll work. That'll work. <laughs> I don't have a movie to compare it to. It's just when you no. said that I don't watch that many comedies, so I have to, like, oh, sure. yeah. latch on to, like, well, the, a comedy. Well, the, the thing is, if you watch Tommy Boy and you love it, you watch Black Sheep, to me, Black Sheep, they got the characters slightly wrong, and they got the, sort of the pace and feel of it slightly wrong. Like, everything that was right in High School USA goes slightly wrong in Poison Ivy. Not yeah. terrible. Not terrible because they get the setting right. But it's just like Michael J. Fox and Nancy McKeon, their characters aren't quite as lovable as they are in High School yeah, USA. Yeah, they're not as like memorable or as engaging, maybe. But... 
Yeah, I, I feel I could, like... You I know, I like... could be wrong. You remember that one time I was wrong, like, five episodes ago? Well, here's the thing. High School oh, USA High School USA is good, and Michael J. Fox is good in it. But that movie also, like, the heart of that film is all of those wonderful supporting roles. Sure. And here we've got Michael J. Fox and Nancy McKeon doing their thing, and they're fine. But there's there's some gaps there in the supporting roles. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, that makes yeah, it no. less engaging. So I would, I would put less of the weight on their, personally, on their shoulders... And I would say more so it's the kids. It's not the actors that are bad. The kids are perfectly no, adorable. It's, and the, in their it's part. the writing. It's yeah, the writing. I, don't, I don't think it's the strongest characterizations or, or it's as engaging. You know what I mean? So that's to me where the whole – and they spend so much time with those kids that it's like they're, they have to be like the kids in High School USA to keep me interested. Do you know what I mean? Sure. They have to be more uh-huh. quirky or, or – they're very well defined in terms that I know which ones which. Like you can say the jock and the comedian and they all Except have – Except the two we don't remember. Well, well, I mean I might not know their names but they have distinct personalities. There's sure. the geeky kid that reads Proust, right? There's mm-hmm. the con artist. There's uh, the jock and then there's the comedian. But And so I don't even need to know their names. I can distinguish them. They, they've gone out of their way to make the characters unique, but they they forgot to make them interesting. Yes, yes. And I, I think uh, on top of that, not to be – this is not us being completely negative on it. Because no, no, I no. Think, I mean I think it's a it's good – it's a fun view. movie. It's just it's – just, uh, it's not a, like a rewatchable thing or it's not something I would necessarily recommend to people in, if, I, if High School USA was sitting next to it. Yes, and I and I gotta say, if if we're the TV movie podcast, we have to bring up things about the TV movies that are a little off. And I will say, Jerry with his Michael Jackson glove on oh, yeah, and his not beret, cool. Not cool. it was not cool. Was uh, bringing in like the eleven year old girl uh, to his attention was a very strange scene that I felt like maybe I should not have been watching. Um, but there's the I'm trying to remember if it's one or two scenes. Uh, well, well. First off, what what the heck is Timmy doing on the girls' side of the island? Was he running oh, away and just trying to? Fit? Well, well, here's the thing, though. If he wants to run away, why would he want to go to a girls' camp? Why didn't he just stay at the boys' camp? Exactly. Mean, you know, because it's still a camp. So like, it doesn't even make sense that he would do that. But maybe Timmy was feeling some kind of secret desire that he'd had for a while, and, and it was the only way he could I do did. it. Okay, all right. That actually makes sense then, because to me, when um uh uh jerry and the kid the jock kid arrive on the canoe and uh canoes are you you don't just jump in a canoe and take a canoe across a lake the first merit badge i got in boy scouts okay all right all right but this is a movie Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, so they get to the other side of the lake. You can't. You can't canoe. watch movies as outlandish as the movies you watch, and then be like, "Oh, you can't take a canoe across a lake like that." You can't. You're not allowed to do that. Which what was like Seven Samurai? Like any of those crazy movies you watch, you can't watch those and be like, "Winter that Light." Was, that was really fun. Persona. And then be like, "Oh no, that would only be 42 square feet, not 43." <laughs> you can't do that. You're Amanda not allowed has... to do that. Uh, caught me and she is right so i'm gonna stop saying that what i will say is what i will say is that it's very tough to take a canoe if you're a tiny kid and you're only one person okay i will say that because but then you they get to the other side of the lake and there's another canoe there and they say oh someone else is here but then they see michael j fox kissing his girlfriend like okay they took the canoe but then timmy is there and you're like, okay, how did Timmy get there? But then Timmy mentions the laundry truck oh, right. that you can hide in. But but then if you think of the narrative, 
So Timmy hid in the laundry truck on the other side of the lake. It traveled across the lake to the girls' camp. He got out of the laundry truck, dressed up as a girl, got chased around by girls, and wound up back in the laundry truck, which hadn't left already. Okay, no, 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 no. I'm still not going to let you do it. No, okay. I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to stop right there. I might have one more. Okay. I might have one more moment because I don't know. I I think I, I read a little too far into that because I shouldn't have. But the way they describe the, the the fact that they left the canoe and they had the laundry truck made me think. Wait a minute, what? How did he get there? Because well, this, a kid. That, I'm sorry. This hits on this hits on something I was just listening to, but I can't remember the exact episode. But I was listening to the Strange and Deadly show, and one sure. of them was talking about. I'm just listening to old episodes, and one of them was talking about how if the movie's entertaining, you will put up with anything, but. If you're not being entertained by it, you start to pick things apart. Yes. yes and that it, is, I think, what we're seeing here. Yes. So I should need, I should stop doing no, that. No, 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 no. But, I mean, it oh, makes sense oh. because, like, I, I wish I could remember what movie they were talking about. But they were like, well, this doesn't work. I think they were talking about the evil, but they were saying how they were, were putting up with stuff because it was entertaining. Mm-hmm. Because that movie's really outlandish, you know. And, I, so, I, and so, but because, because they were enjoying the act of watching it. It was okay that certain things didn't necessarily make sense. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think the problem I have here is that the one thing I did well in the six years I was in Boy Scouts was canoe. And so seeing the canoes, I was like, this doesn't make sense. And but, you so know, that, like I have a friend who watches a lot of, who's B- a canoeer. No, he watches a lot of B movies and tell like, crazy television shows and blah 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 and and it's not you dan it's somebody else and he saw cloverfield (laughs) what he saw cloverfield and his big ding against the movie which he just didn't like but his big criticism was like those guys couldn't afford to live in that apartment and i was Uh, like i I was like well could laverna shirley really afford to live in that apartment in burbank being the gift wrappers no and he was like well sucked and I was like, that's fine that you didn't like the movie, but you're picking up something. It's a movie. I think, no, I, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to say this and then I'll stop talking <laughs> and I'll apologize to every single listener. But it's, it's the point of it is that Timmy is constantly doing these escapes that semi makes sense, but then he does one that makes no sense at all and isn't even logical in the slightest. And you're like, when did you go crazy, Timmy? You you were you. Why didn't you just escape back to the train station? But he's he's in went? a dress and it's funny. It's in a dress. It's in a dress. <laughs> Timmy is a he, all right. And he's he's in a dress. He's, he's in not a dress. It. He's in a dress and it's it's something. Okay, it's so in I'm a gonna, dress. I'm, it's. It's. I'm gonna leave this scene. I'm gonna bring up one more scene, and this is just my. This is just, this is not me, this is not me denigrating the film. This is just me bringing up, which we discussed uh, previously, um, uh, sort of how they have to adapt, like, this would have been like a a PG, uh, like a high PG, at the PG-13, or an R-rated kind of summer camp film that they're adapting for TV. And there's the scene where they, did I say this already? I forget. Where they, they, no, I stopped it where Timmy's in the bathtub 
in the um, in uh, Big Irv's uh, house. And then uh, what is what is his name? Uh, Ike. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ike and Margot show up. Oh, that's right. And they're gonna yeah they're gonna go in the bathroom, and you're like, oh my god, this is gonna be shenanigans to the extreme. But what actually happens <laughs> is you see Timmy in the bathtub, and then he sort of like hears them. And he stops, and then you see the two adults walk down the hallway towards the bathroom. Then as they're doing that, all the boys who are hidden on the couch run out the door. Then Timmy goes out the window, pause, it's the next morning and Color Wars begins. That's right. And it's like, what? That's the, the, um, and that's to me the one moment in this movie, because there are some weird moments in the movie. Where it's like, I that was like a scene that maybe like the writer did more, and suddenly like standards and practices stepped in yeah. and said, "Nope, it has to end here," because it's very much like, "Wow, that's the end of the scene." That's very strange to me. You might be I, right. I'm not. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let that one go, Dan. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. But that's yeah. That's that's apart from that. The the film has a very convincing summer camp feel. It, there are like you said, it has some gaps in the kid characters where they don't quite um, do it. It doesn't quite uh, come alive. But it's definitely it's definitely worth a watch. Unlike High School USA, it might not be worth multiple watches. Yeah, I was going to say, when you were talking about how we're going to talk about movies we're not that big on, I mean, it's still better than Look What Happened to Rosemary's Baby. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Look What's Happened to... Th- this one, I made it all the way to the end. Yeah. Look What's Happened to Rosemary's Baby, about an hour in, I was like, if I stop now and just <laughs> read a synopsis online, will I convince Amanda and Nate? <laughs> that was a tough one. That was a tough one. That was tricky. Yeah, this one, true. at least, it's fun, and it, it's uh, yeah. it's of a certain time, and it and of course the uh, McKee the and laugh. Fox combo you can't yes. you can't be beat. So, that, but I'm gonna cut and, this short here. I think we should sort of start to wrap up. Okay, I will. I just one more thing. Okay, the last. The final, when Timmy swims across the water and Big Irv does his speech and the ending, is as manipulative as it might be. Yeah. Is is like, wow, suddenly you love everyone in the movie. Even Jerry for a moment. You're like, wow. Now Jerry fades. But, but the rest of it, it's like for the last five, six minutes, it's like, wow. That... It ends right, even if the maybe the 20 minutes or so before it aren't aren't quite great yeah it's just it's a cute film i mean that's pretty much all i can say about it it's cute it's watchable i don't think it's as memorable as i thought it was going to be but um it's an interesting double feature because uh because the the two leads um and it's interesting to see them playing kind of the similar sort of in a romance situation but done differently in that one seems more effective than the other yes. one, um, which is interesting. Uh, but you know, it is what it is. It's it's certainly not painful to watch it. Um, no. But no. yeah, it's just not a rewatch thing for me, which surprised me because I remember thinking it was like the bee's knees when I saw it. Yeah, yeah. Jerry just got on my nerves. He was like, like I said, he was second second level Bill Murray. He was just like, I don't like Jerry. Yeah, I, I think I think no offense to the actor who turned out to be pretty cute in real life, which surprised me. I mean, now he's cute. I looked him up just now. But um, <laughs> but like the clothes they had. I mean, is he wearing like a half shirt? 
<laughs> like one he scene. does, yeah. When yeah. he's in bed, no, he's got the I half mean, shirt, in sleep, like in sleepaway camp. Like guys in sleepaway camp, yeah. Yeah, that works. But Jerry couldn't pull it off. Jerry didn't have it, man. Sorry, sorry, Joe Wright, the guy who played Jerry. You're cute now. Call me, but like, <laughs> call her. She's doing the thing. <laughs> call me, call, call me. me. But um, I don't think my husband would like that. But feel free to call me. <laughs> um, but Jerry, yeah, Jerry left a kind of a. It was. I didn't find him all that likable myself. But I didn't hate him. Like, I didn't really hate anybody in the movie. No. Um, it's, but it's I didn't necessarily it, love that many characters either. It's, 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 a, it's, it's, it's setting works enough. I think <laughs> that it, it, it's charming enough. But, but it's just, it doesn't, it, there's something missing from it. I don't know. I, I got to lay it down at the, at the feet of, is it Ben Tramer, who's the writer? Well, yeah, that's possible. We're going to talk about him here in a second because I'm going to move right into the background because we still have some stuff to do and I'm worried this is going to be another three-hour podcast. We're going to stop right now. I'm panicking. Okay, so this originally aired on NBC on February 10th, 1985. It ran against... Oh, so this was a night of TV movies and miniseries. So interestingly enough, it ran against a TV movie called Surviving, which some of you may remember with Molly Ringwald and Zach Galvin, which is a really intense... TV movie about two teenagers who commit suicide and it's about the aftermath of their death and um, River Phoenix is in it. Um, that's an intense movie. Uh, and then it also ran on CBS against the Atlanta child murderers, uh, which was a mini series that was excellent that I know I watched poison Ivy, but I also remember watching the Atlanta child murders and it makes sense now why I didn't see surviving till it started rerunning on cable because it was up against two other movies. Um, that I was interested in. Uh, Poison Ivy did really well in the ratings. It ranked number 17, bringing in a 19.8 slash 29, um, which means it was 19.8 million homes with televisions were watching it, which represents 29% of the TV movie uh, watching population, which is very close to what High School USA was. I think those are very close numbers. Um, Surviving actually ranked 23 for the week, and The Atlanta Child Murders was the highest rated of those three movies, coming in at number 12. Uh, Poison Ivy is actually mentioned in Crystal Lake Memories, that documentary about Friday the 13th. Um, I haven't seen that. I just saw that it was mentioned. Um, but I did get a copy of that recently, so I'm hoping to rectify that. Um, the director, Larry Ellican, was a prolific television director and was behind Dallas the Early Years. And he also directed at least three telefilms a year over many years. In 1988, he actually made five TV movies. That was Disaster at Silo 7, Take My Daughters, Please, A Stoning in Fulham County, God Bless the Child, and Stranger on My Land. So we may throw some of the blame on the director. I didn't look to see how many movies he made that year, but it sounds like he was really kind of cranking them out. And when you're cranking out TV movies, which is kind of what happened with a lot of these films, sometimes you can't take care in issues you may have with the film. So in 1985, he let me tell you what he did in 1985. He did... Um, some Remington Steel. He did Poison Ivy. He did Peyton Place, The Next Generation, which I haven't seen. He did another TV movie or series called Heartbeat. He did an episode of The Fall Guy. He did a TV movie called A Letter to Three Wives, and he was probably prepping to do Dallas the Early Years. So, do you see what I'm saying here? He good gravy. He's he, a Jess Franco. Yeah, he's TV. he probably well. A lot of these directors are extremely prolific, and directing three, four movies a year isn't necessarily an anomaly. Um, Jerry Jameson was uh, one of the directors that comes to mind. Um, I think, is he the guy that did Heat Wave? I think he did. He did four or five movies a year sometimes. Um, uh, Adam Baldwin, who played Ike, 
was actually named TV Guide's Sexiest Newcomer in 2005, even though he started his acting career in 1980, which is kind of funny. He was starting my bodyguard. I think that's what, yeah, he's a very handsome guy. Um, I think that's where most people remember him as my bodyguard. But then later on, he did Chuck, which was a huge show. Um, at the time of filming, Adam was actually prepping for Full Metal Jacket. So apparently he's buffer here than he was in DC Cab. Wow. Yeah. Um, I went on a website called Summer Camp Culture, which is just uh, www.summercampculture.com, which has 16 things you may not know or remember about Poison Ivy. And I just copied a few of them here. You should go on the site and read it. It was shot in Hard Labor Creek State Park in Rutledge, Georgia, which is the same location as Little Darlings, which is a fantastic movie. But the fictional location... It is. Yeah, it is. But the fictional location of the movie is actually the real town of Clifton, Maine. This was written by Bennett Tramer, and I put in here, and we mentioned this off-air, is this a Halloween reference? Because, you know, Ben Tramer is the name of the love interest of uh, Laurie Strode. And we never see Ben Tramer, but I, whenever I see the name Bennett Tramer, I always wondered if he knew John Carpenter. But I don't know because he wasn't really working in film too heavily back then. Um, he redid this formula in a movie called Camp Cucamonga in 1990, which is something I think Dan should avoid. Uh, <laughs> based on... Did you see that? Did you see that he was also the technical consultant on this film? Oh no, I didn't see that. Yeah, it's he, all his fault. <laughs> possibly, possibly. Um, I'm watching Camp Cucamonga now. You keep talking. Um, Back to the Future was released five months after Poison Ivy. Um, the Camp Pinewood song is set to the name of On Top of Old Smokey. Um, the name of the main female character, Rhonda Malone, was changed to Sandra in the Hungarian version of the film because Rhonda means ugly in Hungarian. Mm. That is my trivia for you all. Um, Thank you. And I think our final words are High School USA. Yay. Poison Ivy. Half nay. Half a yes. H- half a poison, yay. Poison I, I think if you liked High School USA, try Poison Ivy. You might like it more than we did. Yeah. Oh, I know it has a huge cult following. Like, yes. I didn't. We only got one piece of feedback about the movie, but people have been dropping me lines recently on, um, you know, just like private messages on Facebook and stuff, and uh, I've been getting really positive feedback about the film. So, um, I know that we're like kind of unique in our, but maybe it's because we don't necessarily have that childhood attachment to it. Mm, yeah, my su- summer camp experiences, which maybe we'll talk in another episode. Cause this yeah, is I don't have long. anything to say about summer camp. I went; it was fun. I didn't do anything for interesting at all. So, um, and it was all. I'll do, oh, okay. Yeah, I'll I'll do a um I'll do I'll do a separate podcast about mine. Okay, good. Feedback time. So the one thing of feedback we got was from our friend Shannon, who we know Yay. best on Twitter as Rusting Willpower, which is at R-U-S-T-I-N-G-W-I-L-L-P-W-R. Sorry, these papers here that we copied my notes on are pinky. Uh, <laughs> you know she's having no trouble. Yes, I am. Um, so Shannon wrote, I'm breaking my longstanding rule of not writing you when I'm drinking, or is it I can only write to you when I'm drinking? I forget. <laughs> anyway, I have watched the movies for your upcoming episode and humbly offer this feedback. I don't remember ever seeing High School USA, but Michael J. Fox's wardrobe is burned into my brain, so I think I must have. The scene with the girl from Give Me a Break and her friend trying to spy on the boys' locker room is awfully familiar, too. But do you think I'd remember Todd Bridges' robot or the car race? Well, I mean, to be fair, that scene of the people is basically a gender switch on what happened in Porky's. Yes. But the whole, I think, was already there. But um, there were a lot of corny jokes in this movie, but I admit laughing out loud numerous times. I, w- I especially enjoyed Crispin Glover. 
and the other guy, I'm sorry, I don't know what his name was, and Tom Billard. It was fun to see so many familiar faces. Nancy McKean's character annoyed me, and so did her big hair, even though it wasn't as big as Crystal Bernard's big, poofy bangs. I kept mistaking them for a fur hat. I watched Poison Ivy many times back in the 80s and 90s. I didn't realize it was a TV movie. I had completely forgotten about it, so it was kind of weird to revisit it. I remember trying to teach myself how to float in the bathtub because of this movie. But re but rewatching it answered a question I had a couple of months ago when I was rewatching Friday the 13th Part 6. And I couldn't figure out where I knew one of the kids from. It was this movie. Oh, is that kid with the glasses? He's in Friday the 13th Part 6, isn't he? Is he? I think that's the same kid. Oh yeah. my gosh. Oh yeah. yeah. He's, what did you want to be when you grew, grew up? up. Yes. In the, yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. He is cute. Okay. Oh my gosh. Now Poison Ivy is my favorite movie. Ever. Okay. I take it, I take it all back. Ever. Well, I can mention how I used to hate to watch Family Ties when I was a kid or how, in my mind, every TV movie back then seemed to start Meredith Baxter Bernie, but I'll save that for another time. Yay, cheers. Thanks a lot, Shannon. Thank Yay. you, Shannon. That was great. Thank you. Thank you. She sent this a while ago, too, because we pushed this back a week, and so um, I've just been sitting on it. So I'm glad she wrote in because that's our only piece of feedback this week. <laughs> Last week, we had tons of stuff. This yeah, week, we did. This week, we have nothing. Um, but we do have some shout outs. So I want to mention some people who have been I've been talking to um, online who've been giving us some positive feedback just in personal forums. Um, one of them is Curtis Dalton. So I want to say about Curtis is that he has sent me some he actually scanned old Fangoria's for me. And one of them talks about Home for the Holidays. And wow. you know how we had a hard time pulling trivia from that? Uh -huh. He got me some trivia. So I was going to read it this episode, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait till Nate's here because that's like Nate's all-time favorite TV movie. Oh, yes. Yeah, and yeah. I, I want to share that with him because I think that he'll get a bigger kick out of it than even we would. But I kind of glanced it, and it's it's pretty good stuff. It's uh, this guy who wrote it, Joseph Stefano. He talks about writing Home for the Holidays and Snow Beast. Oh, wow. Oh, and, wow. and so we will, we will, I'll just read what is on the scans. He also sent me a scan from a woman talking about Joan Crawford, but I haven't had a chance to look at that yet. So that might be TV appropriate because of feud. I'm not sure yet. So, um, so thank you, Curtis. I just wanted to thank him now and let him know that we're going to go over. Cause I asked him if, if it was okay if I read all this stuff. I think he sent it to me to put on the show, but, um, we're going to do it when Nate's here, uh, just cause I think it'll be better. Um, conversation wise for us uh also i've been getting some emails from uh somebody named philip who is uh came over from movies about girls um and he started listening to podcast mania and he told me he didn't realize that that was jeff crazy um from the show but he really enjoyed it and he's been enjoying our podcast and he's been sending me some stuff about just the tv movies uh, i also want to mention uh ronan farrell who is my new best friend from ireland he he's really cool so I guess he's like kind of a cinephile, but he hadn't really dipped his toes into the TV movie waters. And I'm not real sure where I just, he discovered me. I think it was through the Kolchak tapes podcast where I did an interview there and he picked up my book, I think. And I know he's been uh, listening to the podcast and he's been kind of, um, watching along with us and he sends me reviews of things that he's watched. So I mentioned this house possessed to him. And so he actually went out and watched it. And then he sent me like a really long review of it. That was really fun to read. And it's kind of cool. He's, he's like really excited about these movies. They're pretty unknown to him for the most part, I think. And, awesome. um, and yeah, and he's really sharing the passion for it. And so I wanted to just thank him. And I told him, I think I told him I was going to mention him on the show. Um, 
And uh, I just, I really like, I can't answer every piece of email the second I get it, which kind of kills me, but everybody's been really patient with me because uh, I've got a writing deadline that I'm not meeting. I actually had to get an extension and, um, but the, I've been getting a lot of interaction from people privately. And so I feel like even if they're not leaving official feedback, it's important that they know that they're appreciated and that I'm listening to them. And also last, I want to mention Jack who um, thinks Dan is dreamy and he called him a hunky piece of beef. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Jack. Thank you very much. <laughs> Jack is adorable, by the way. It's much appreciated. I'm, I'm, uh, I am very flattered. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. I thought it was really cool. So he's been listening. So what he does is he won't listen. He, he got my book, and he went kind of crazy over it, and so thank you for that. He, uh, he wrote a review of it on Amazon for me, and um, he's been checking out some of the movies and writing me about them, and... He's been buying some movies from Warner Archive. He's really into supporting the legit releases. We talked about that today, actually. Where you can get it, he will support it. Um, he's uh, very knowledgeable about film and television and pop culture in general. And his emails are hilarious. He's super funny. <laughs> and I really like talking to him. And um, I'm really, really glad that all these people have reached out to me to, um, to tell me that they're enjoying what we're doing. They could do that if they want through legitimate feedback. It's not illegitimate. I mean, what I mean is like official feedback that we can read on the air. It doesn't necessarily have to be about what we're talking about. If you just want to talk about the show or um, any TV movie you want to talk about is fine. Like somebody wrote to us and they asked about um, I Saw What You Did, which we haven't covered yet. And so we, we brought it. We talked about it at the end of the show. And so we can do stuff like that. Or if you want to get in touch with me privately, that's fine, too. Um, I love all of the interaction I've been getting and it's just greatly appreciated. So I wanted to thank everybody for that. Uh, I think because uh, we're so close to the Strange and Deadly show, I wanted to also mention that they're going on a hiatus officially. And they've got a new podcast coming. And I'm just going to tell you where you can find them. It's going to be a superheroes podcast. And I'm not quite sure what they're doing. But I think it's going to be mostly like the movies that are newer. I don't think they're going to be dipping into like the old like Spider-Man TV series or anything like that. Um but uh, they're both really excited about it. And I didn't write down their Twitter handle, but I believe it's at Omniverse Pod. And the show itself is going to be called Lost in the Omniverse. And I know some people that listen to the show have kind of filtered over to Strange and Deadly. So um, follow them on Twitter with their new show if you can. And I think they're going to have a new episode in August. Um, I know Podcast Mania just recorded an episode that Dan hosted, right? You picked the movie. Devil Story. We had a good time. There was good. only four of us. It's been like two years I, since we've had one. I felt really bad because I thought it was recording on Thursday, but you guys did it on a Wednesday. <laughs> That's how busy and unfocused I've been lately. And I couldn't watch the movie anyway. Like I waited till Thursday to see if I could cram it in, but I couldn't. So, and then I went and I looked and I saw that you guys had recorded the day before. And I was like, shit. And it's so... Yeah. Uh, it, I, everything here has been really crazy and I'm hoping it kind of settles down soon and it should, I only have this one deadline left and then I've got some more projects, but they're like off in the future. And so, um, so I'll have a little break and I'm hoping with that break, I'll be able to start blogging and paying more attention to what's happening around me <laughs> like other podcasts yeah. like that. And I'm actually going to be recording a podcast tomorrow with Dr. Snuggles, which is part of the Companeros podcast. It's a spinoff where we talk about erotica um, films. Oh, wow. And we're going to be doing one of the newer Emmanuel movies that was directed by my friend Rolf Kineski. So um, that'll be coming up probably around the time this comes out. So if you're interested in erotica, and you should be, 
because you're human. And it's a really fun show. Um, but the first episode where they talk about Emmanuel, they go into the history of all of the Emmanuel films, and it's actually really interesting. Uh, tune into that. Um, we have chosen our next films. We're really excited about it. We're going to go back to horror because we kind of walked away from that for a little while. Well, I guess we did it last time, but I kind of feel like we've been skating around it. Once we hit Tori mm-hmm. Spelling, there was no turning back. <laughs> you know what I mean? We were like, yes. we were ready to go into the 90s and everything. And so I'm just coming back from that. So we're going to be doing Crowhaven Farm, which is from the 70s, and then something from the 80s called Bay Cove, also known as Bay Coven. And it actually has another title that's something like Eyes of the Demon. They're both, I think, available on DVD. Um, and they're both really, really good, um, in my opinion. So I'm really excited to talk about those. And if you have any feedback for us, you can reach us at our email, which is tvmayhempodcast at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Facebook, which you can just look up the Made for TV Mayhem show. Or you can follow us on Twitter at TV Mayhem Podcast. And we would love to hear from you um, about anything you want to talk about. So just let us know. And Dan, do you have anything you want to add? Uh, I've just uh, I'm over on the Eventually Super Train Network. We're we're uh, around episode twenty six twenty seven of Eventually Super Train. We're talking Voyagers, The Immortal, and Manimal. And Dan's driving up feature was number eleven, which is uh, Jaws ripoffs. And I just started a new podcast called A Minute to Dismember. We're going through Doris Wishman's A Night to Dismember, Yay. minute by minute, by minute which I, I posted the first episode of that literally three days ago, and the the listeners, over on SoundCloud at least, have been astounding, wow. uh, the, the number of people uh, tuning in. And, um, and I am going to get to within... I have two episodes left to BJ and the Bear season two to review from my Polish American Guy Reviews thing site. I will get those done within the next week, folks. We'll be we'll finally get to the end of BJ and the Bear season two. Hooray! And buy my book, Eighties Action Films on the cheap, not on the rough. That's right. Which I said you know, last you, you said time. the last time, and I thought about correcting you, but then I was like, well, I don't know, maybe. It was so late. And this one's going to yeah, be another I, long one, even though we didn't intend it. Unfortunately, it's not going to be as long, folks, but it'll be longish. Um, but there, there were all these ensemble casts. Yeah, someone pointed out, Dan, uh, your book is not 80s action films on the rough. It's 80s <laughs> action films on the cheap. And I thought, where the hell did I get that from? But that that's where I am right now. That's what's happening. Yeah, I forgot. I should probably mention I have a blog that I haven't been on in since, like, I don't even know when. Um, but I'm hoping to get back to it. I'm desperate to get back to blogging because I like just writing for myself and picking movies I want to watch and not being told what I have to watch and blah, blah, blah. It It is uh, madefortvmayhem.com. And then also, of course, my book, Are You in the House Alone? A TV Movie Compendium, 1964 to 1999, which I'm happy to say got reviewed by Starburst Magazine. And they oh. gave it 9 out of 10 stars. And oh, that's- yeah, that was really, really cool. So um, I'm really excited about that. I also did a book, and I, I didn't do the book. I have an essay in a book called When Animals Attack, edited by Vanessa Morgan. Um, I think I've brought that up before, but I'm, I want to keep promoting it because the more I read the book, you know, it's just so good, and I'm really proud to be in there. So everybody should pick that up. Um, and I think that's it for us. So we'll see you next time yes. um, talking Crowhaven Farm. Yay. Yay. Night. It's in. Oh. Oh, yeah. School is in. School, school. School, school. School is in. Yeah. 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 Good night. Yeah.